Hi, gang. This is Ed Bell, known to you all as Bob Rooney, inviting you to listen to the Married with Children podcast. Don't miss it. <laughs> oh, I can't stand this another minute. Look, Peggy, Al has brainwashed you. You are not cheerful, tidy, and hardworking. You are rude, mean, and sloppy. <laughs> wife, a worse mother, and proud of it. I beg your pardon. Peggy, and I say this with love. <laughs> You're the laziest bitch in Chicago. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children Podcast, down here in Australia, where today we are reviewing Season 11, Episode 10, The Stepford Peg. Originally transmitted on Epiphany Day, the 6th of January, 1997. My name is Matt, and I'm very much single. When I do get married, I won't break the first no man commandment. Thou shalt never covet thy own wife. And this is Annabelle, and I must have Indonesia, because I forgot to shake the crumbs out of my cleavage. One sec. <laughs> And we have a special guest with us today. And guess what? I've got your biggins and I've cut out all the articles so they won't slow you down. Baby, you're the greatest. Oh, how cute. <laughs> Happy to be back down under again. Yes, great to have you with us once again, Luigi, down here in Australia. And having a nice VB with us. Yes, thank you for keeping it cold. Anytime. Was the best cold beer, allegedly. <laughs> As I mentioned, we are reviewing the Stepford Peg, and gracing us today with their guest appearances are Harold Sylvester as Griff, E.E. E. Bell as Bob Rooney, Tom McClellister as Ike, Ron Ann Fry as Sally, and Larry McKay as a TV announcer. Now, our good friends at IMDb have this to say by from Tony Tapola of Finland about this episode. Al is planning a get-together for the guys, and they'll be watching wrestling on, from cable. Al wants Peg to help, but she declines. Then Peg has an accident where she hits her head and gets amnesia. Kelly, Bud, and Al, and then a mate see Peg cooking, cleaning, and doing other housework. They decide to milk the situation for all it's worth. Not the best IMDb summary, but there's still far worse ones out there, so Tony Topola seems to actually have watched the show. Married with Children has a new night, and Al Bundy has a new wife. I'm dreaming. Pinch me. It's all part of the new Fox Monday night, starting Monday. I'd like to also mention that this was the first episode taped of the season. While well, well, it was the 10th to be aired, it was the first to be recorded on the 16th of August, 1996. Yes. Um, as people know, that's a pet peeve <laughs> a little bit with me, the, the order of this season. But the biggest clue is, well, if you call it a clue, is the opening credits with David Faustino's credits. It's a, an outtake taken from this episode, from the ending scene. So if you watch that and then watch him in the opening credits, it's a very similar shot. 
Bud's reaction to uh, what happens at the end. So they've taken that from the first episode and put it on all the episodes. And it's not until you watch this episode you realize, oh, this might have come from here. But it's halfway through the season. What? Okay. Which is strange because, you know, typically, you know, I, I think that the writing team tries to do a really good job with the uh, opening episode. And I think this was a very good opener. If it, you know, if it had aired as the opener, uh, instead it was twisted. Uh, and one of the other things, you know, that I think we might have discussed already this season is that one of the clues or one of the things I'd say is they had a good uh, continuity from the ending of season 10 in that Griff states that he had just got out, out of prison because that's how we ended season 10. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, seeing this, as the 10th episode of season 11, you're sort of like, well, you know, you can sort of take the stretch. It's like, well, yeah, well, Griff was in prison in season 10, and then 10 episodes in, he's still talking about it. But it would make more sense if this was in its original taping order. Definitely. Um, yes, or if not the first episode, at least the second, when it would make more sense for Griff to be talking about being in prison, so to speak. Uh, I mean, at least had the sense to f- f- um, film two, two different episodes with the conclusion, so to speak, from season 10. Now, I mean, in your opinions, just out of curiosity, I mean, do you think this would have been a better season opener than Twisted? Or um, maybe it would have been a toss-up? I mean, Twisted wasn't that bad of an episode, in my opinion, but... Just curious what you thought. I, I like this episode better, I think, but also it's just, you know, I could take or leave either episode as an opener. I mean, this this could open and then Twisted could follow, or Twisted could open and then this could follow. I mean, if they were back-to-back, it wouldn't bother me either, but <laughs> for which one works better as an opener, I'm not sure, but Twisted did have more exposition about Griff and what happened at the end of Season 10. And do you think, let me ask you, Annabelle, did you think that they shoehorned that in? Um, not really, but I think it was needed shoehorned. Not really. Well, sort of, but they didn't make too much of a deal about it. So I don't know. I'm I'm sort of grateful that they mentioned anything at all, but I think they found themselves in a position where, oh, we have to explain. If this is going to be the opening episode, we have to explain something. So in that regard, I suppose it is a little bit. As for, as for my own thoughts, well, um, thinking back to Twisted, yeah, it did t- tell more about Gr- Griff getting out of prison and all that, whereas, um, yeah, I mean, this one, obviously I remember because it was the first one taped, whereas, let me just check the schedule, Twisted was, just to verify. Third produced. Ah, thank you, yeah, as he said, the thanks Annabelle, the third one taped, so uh, obviously knew one of them would come first. Uh, I don't think it was it was mentioned in Children of the Corns, which was the second one to be taped. I... I I have to say, well, given um, I mean, both episodes are around the same in my book at, at this point in time, but I think Twisted was, was um, the better opener, so to, so to speak, of the season. I mean, this one definitely has its moments, but I think Twisted was the better opener. That's just me. I, I mean, one of the things I'll say about the premise of the episode is that it seems like very, like something you would see in a cartoon, right? Like, I mean, like sort of somebody getting hit over the head, they don't act the way that they normally act. There's a little bit of reprogramming. They almost act the opposite of what they normally are. That brings the comedy. And that's effectively what they did. But I mean, even if you add, it's like, you know, Kelly finding her double living next door and, you know, um, sort of that, like, again, like the whole premise of it. I mean, this is, to me, this was truly a cartoon. 
I mean, not that uh, there, not that the other episodes of season eleven seem to all be live action cartoons, but you know the, uh, it's a really a reach at this point. Yes, definitely more cartoonish as the years went on, especially in season eleven. Um, the, yes, I mean a lot of season eleven is is cartoonish. Thinks of thinks of other episodes to his mind. And this is just a straight out parody or send up or reference to the Stepford Wives. Oh yes, the Stepford Wives. Uh, thank you for mentioning Annabelle. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that's a 1975 American satirical horror film, directed by Brian Forbes, written by William Goldman, and starring Catherine Ross, Paula Prentice, and Peter Masterson. Its plot follows a woman who relocates with her husband and children from the Big Apple, New York City, to the Connecticut community of Stepford, where she comes to find the women live unwaverly subservient lives to their husbands based on the 1972 novel of the same name by R11, and the 2004 remake was also made as well, it allegedly wasn't that great. Have either of you seen the film? Either version, or read the book? I've, I've seen the remake, I have, I'm not sure if I've seen the original film, I have not read the book. I've seen the original film, I have not seen the, the, the 2004 remake, because I believe that was more of a comedy. Oh, um, which which is which is strange because usually I like the comedies, but I probably the last time I saw Stepford Wives was probably about thirty years ago. It's been quite some time, and uh, interestingly, I did work in Connecticut for quite some time as well. I probably spent uh, on and off about ten years in Connecticut, and uh, this film was uh, referenced heavily by residents of Connecticut. Uh, because because the the lower portion of Connecticut, lower western portion of Connecticut, uh, very much uh, sort of looks like this. You know, is this community uh, rather wealthy? Uh, a lot of blondes, whether natural or bleached, uh, driving around in convertible, uh, driving around in convertible blue sobs. It's very much like an image of um, of what Connecticut is supposed to be. Again, the rich portion of Connecticut, and uh, I believe that uh, even as far back as 1975, <laughs> people had that notion of what it would look like. So the setting for the film is uh, very appropriate. Ah, if that sounds sounds very uh, up the, on the money, Luigi. Because I was think, just thinking, um, Connecticut is one of those U.S. states that isn't too represented in film or TV. The only other film film or TV show I can think of top of my head a set of Connecticut was Soap in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, I believe, was Gilmore Girls set in Connecticut? I never saw I it. I feel like... Um, my mum liked that, but um, I, I never... I think that's bugging me. I need to look that up. Gilmore Girls was... Uh, yeah, it's a it's small town called Stars Hollow, a fictional town in Connecticut. I mean, typically... Uh, so, I mean, like, I worked in Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, Stanford was known, I don't know if it's still known as, the CEO capital of the U.S. Uh, because what happens is major corporations would have their headquarters in New York City, but the CEOs themselves lived in Fairfield County, Connecticut, uh, which is like a 40-minute train ride uh, into Manhattan. Uh, so uh, beginning in the 1980s, they would open up satellite offices in Connecticut where like the CEO, instead of having to lug himself generally or herself uh, down into Manhattan, they would go visit the local branch office in Connecticut. And many of them were located in Stamford. I mean, Greenwich and Stamford are pretty much the major uh, cities there. 
So um, even though they officially had a New York address, they would try to spend as much time in Connecticut so they didn't have to do that commute. So that's one of the uh, little tidbits about the state of Connecticut. Ah, makes sense. Sounds like London and the home counties. Um, yeah, it's the same scenario as that, pretty much. Uh... Yeah, and and interestingly, yeah, and actually, interestingly, about uh, Connecticut, uh, the insurance industry is really centered in Connecticut. Uh, there has historical reasons behind that. So, like many insurance companies have operations or or founded in Connecticut, and it's also the place where many American guns are manufactured. They've had a very a burgeoning gun industry for the last 150, 75 years. Um, not sort of the image that you would think. Like people think it's like, well, you know, well, guns are maybe like in the south, you know, the middle of the country. That's where most people... Or the west, where, yeah. That's where most people can, um, you know, own them, you know, um, or like the, um, uh, the laws are more... Uh, sort of loose that people can carry them but believe it or not they're actually manufactured in Connecticut so that's uh, another little tidbit about the state for those not familiar Annabelle you want to tell us about when Stepford's been mentioned before oh yeah I was just thinking while we were talking that it's odd perhaps Peg being who she is that we haven't had more references or the occasional sarcastic reference to Stepford or the Stepford wives in Married with Children but there is one back in way back in season two, when Steve finds well, Steve gets the Marcy's wedding ring back from Zorro, um, and Al <laughs> encourages encourages Steve what to do with it, and Steve sort of gleefully says, "Al, I'm gonna have a Stepford wife." <laughs> yeah, wash the floor again. Wash the floor again with yeah. your hair. <laughs> yes uh yes i definitely i think i probably heard about the whole stepford reference from mary to children because i mentioned i never watched all that film so i'm pretty sure this is one of those many things i picked up watching mary to children generally speaking i tend to prefer originals anyway when it comes to films and whatnot I wonder i wonder if alex uh reviewed that on his skeleton crew podcast I mean, it is a it is a horror film. Well, if you're going to watch it, I mean, watch the original movie. I, I honestly can't remember if I've seen it. I think I have it a long time ago. I watched the 2004 film relatively recently, but it's it, it's not that great as we said. But uh, Bette Midler's in it; and she's always funny. Anyway, so moving, getting on a pla- getting on a train or planes back to Illinois, we enter the episode opens. Uh, hang on, what? There's food in the living room. What? What is this? Hey, now you know I'm not one to beat around the bush, unless of course you're in it. <laughs> so I'll make this fast. Like you know any other way. <laughs> I'm planning a get-together for the guys, and you're going to help me. Oh, God, Al. Didn't I just get all dressed up so I could go to some tired party and impress your friends? That was a senior prom, Peg. <laughs> and you were only in your dress for 20 minutes. Now, there's a big wrestling show on cable Saturday night. Is it pay-per-view? No. It is now. Come on, Peg! You want me to look stupid in front of my friends? The same friends who used silly putty to give Nancy and Sluggo hooters? Well, at least those hooters were fun to play with. Look, Al, it's not like I don't want to help you, but I'm very busy. You think I just sit here all day long? No, no, Peg. 
No, from the potholes in the couch, I'd say you sit here and you sit here. I don't sit there. That's where I put my food. Does she just bring all that food out for herself? <laughs> I still cannot get over how there was so much food in the Bundy living room and uh, Al's, um, he's getting ready for a get-together and Peg doesn't really want to help, does she? Well, she does want to charge him. <laughs> Well, she did get all dressed up, so she should go to some tired party and impress her friends, which was only for 20 minutes, and they obviously forgot about a certain two-part of a season three. Well, at this point, we've accepted that sort of thing, but Married with Queen, that was one of the, those were two of the first episodes I ever saw of this show. I mean, that's what, see, I've talked, mentioned before in this podcast, if there's, if I, honestly, if I got a genie granted me three wishes... I would actually use one of the wishes of, I wish I knew which episode of Married with Children I saw first, because that's one of the, th- I actually can't remember which one, I've got a rough idea, but I honestly cannot remember which one I actually saw first. I can't remember either, because I was very young, <laughs> which may explain a lot, but it was always you, on. You, you, you were a babe. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a babe with a pacifier, right? <laughs> From the mouth of babes. She wasn't that young. I say Annabelle was about six when it came on here. I I, I was a ge- uh, degenerate uh, eight and three quarter year old. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, w- watch watching the pilot uh, in 1987. So <laughs> nice. I, I remember it very well. Well, you lived in an area that got Fox. If you lived in say the middle of Wyoming, you couldn't have watched it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was very uh, fortunate. I mean, the New York City area, like Fox, when it premiered uh, in '86, '87. Uh, pretty much it was in the major markets like New York City where you could get it on the VHF uh, frequencies. You know, remember the days before cable. Um, and yes, yes. Outside of the major metropolitan areas, it was on UHF. You know, and that's one of the jokes that they had is that Fox wasn't available. I mean, obviously today, uh, I mean, even by this time that this was airing, by 1997, all of that had gone away. I mean, Fox was a major network. Uh, by the mid '90s, but those original first few years, um, again, I mean, I, I I didn't realize that until I was older, and then maybe as I met people from different parts of the country, and sometimes you know we would talk about television, you know, they learned about how you know something like a fox was on UHF. I also learned a lot from uh, Annabelle's website back then too. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, I learned a lot of Annabelle's website and other ones a bit later on when I was 16, 17. But yes, I learned a lot to, too. And I will just briefly say, Australia has an interesting history of um, TV channels as well. Because uh, Australia being even more remote in the US, so the, we had a lot of places that didn't get any TV at all until the, the early, early 70s, for example. And even then, it was just one channel. We were backwards back then, you know, Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, well, you know, I mean, I, I could sort of understand that, uh, you know. Um, I mean, I know we spoke about that way back in season eight. Uh, we had that long uh, discussion around the Christmas episode. Yes, yes, we did. Um, with um, Chris, uh, with Steve Owen. Yes, a veteran Aussie who remembers when Australian TV was good old monochrome. Well, just like Al would say, it was all better when it was on beta. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> I've still got a couple of beta tapes. I don't have a beta player, though. you got time. You'll get, you'll get another one, I'm sure. Or get them converted. Surely. Well, something that's very American and something we don't... I don't... Pretty sure we don't have in Australia is Nancy and Sluggo. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> the 
yeah, I've never seen that comic here. Uh, yeah, so Nancy and Sluggo, for those um, who don't know, especially non-Americans, it's an American comic strip, originally written and drawn by Ernie Bushmiller and distributed by United Feature Syndicate. Originally called Fritz or Fritzy Ritz, but over years, Fergus, Fergus changed from Ditsy Fritzy to Anise Nancy, who got her own Sunday topper strip starting the 3rd of October, 1938. Sluggo Smith is Nancy's friend from the wrong side of the tracks. That's a very old, uh, very old saying used literally and figuratively. Uh, you ever seen those comics, Luigi? I can't say that I have. Maybe they fell out of favor by the, by, by the time um, you were you were creating, seeing comics in the paper. I mean, well, I remember um, the uh, the tabloids in the New York City area did run comics. Yeah, um, I believe they still do. Although, like, I haven't held a paper or tabloid in my hands uh, probably in twenty years. <laughs> but um, what I'm just looking at it, it says that it's still produced. I don't recall it, but just remember, like, not all comics are distributed to all markets, so it's very possible that even interesting in the New York market, this particular comic uh, may not have been prominent. Uh, you know, through since I'd say the 80s. You know, it's very possible, but I, I just don't recall this at all. That's a good point, because uh, obviously different regions, different papers, so I'll briefly say, I don't know about Adelaide and the Advertiser, but here in Perth, with the West Australian, as we call it, we have two staple comics from since I was a boy in our papers, still in the paper today, Calvin and Hobbes and Garfield. Right, and those I am familiar with, obviously. <laughs> they're, still in Austra- they're still in papers here in Perth, even after 20-plus years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Same here. That, that sounds comforting, that's for sure. Uh... Something else that's American, um, we don't really have silly putty here either. I mean, we've heard of it, but again, I don't know if it's something I've heard because of American TV or if it's just, you know, a variation of some sort of, like, Play-Doh type thing or it's it's some sort of putty, but we don't really have silly putty either. We've had we've got similar things. Um, it's too similar, silly party. We've got things that are like it, but just maybe not called that. Yeah. But Al doesn't want to look stupid in front of his friends, does he? <laughs> <laughs> now I've got pictures in my head of the no man guys giving it. It's like, oh no. But you know, there's one little continuity thing. I mean, Annabelle, you did mention the thing about uh, you know Peg saying, "Didn't I get all dressed up to go some tired party and impress your friends?" I mean, in Married with Queen, you know, it was actually the opposite. You know, Peg was trying to get Al to get dressed up to go to the to the reunion, yeah. right? So, uh, the a little a uh, little bit of a continuity error. Yeah, new writers. <laughs> but most most sitcoms, especially long running ones, have those. I mean, even the ones that tried harder still had their slip up. So we can, we can forgive them. Uh, yes, I mean, because obviously, you know, the multiple writers, as we know. We can forgive them for this, I think. Or we just accept it. Now we're just so jaded by this point where, you know, we have to take season 11 as it comes. Because, <laughs> I mean, obviously I'm not in show, bu- show business or script writing at all, but I can tell you, if I was a sitcom writer, there would be no continuity errors, I'm sure. I'm sure. And Peg eats this, like, after the opening credits, Peg picks up what she calls a caramel corn on the cob, which... oh. I don't think we have those either. Besides, we pronounce it caramel. <laughs> caramel corn. Uh, yeah. I, you get caramel corn here, but not on a cob. Like popcorn, caramel popcorn on a stick. 
Yeah, that's what that's what it is. Okay, good. But I mean, I've never seen. I can't say that I've seen it. I, maybe it might be something you get like at a almost like a, a state fair, or like a carnival. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I can't say that I've seen one like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, you can get caramel popcorn here, but I've never seen one like that. It is it is fairly common. You can get it at the supermarkets, and people make it at home. Uh, yeah, yeah, Australians love their popcorn too. And we've got our own, uh, actually, in September, Luigi will actually be Perth's equivalent of a state or county fair called the Perth Royal Show. Yes, and we've got the Royal Adelaide Show next week. Oh, nice. Uh, is it like Perth's in terms of, you know, overpriced, the food's overpriced, and it doesn't really change much from year to year? Yeah, 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 but it's still a good place to go because we haven't had one for two years. They were going to have it last year and they cancelled it because COVID. But oh, yeah, it's, yeah. Now, it's now back and it's actually, I mean, overpriced things aside, it's actually a nice place to go when it's not too crowded because there's, it's full of like interesting things you might like for every, literally for anyone in the family, but they've got animals, they've got cats and, you know, animals you're not going to see um, in urban environments quite so much. And you can sort of see all these exhibits that you want to, and there's rides and then there's food and Yes, it's disgusting looking food, like whatever this caramel popcorn stick thing, round thing is. And then they've got, you know, some um, Indian food on a truck, which is actually really good. And then another cuisine from another country over here. So some interesting food, um, interesting things to buy and some really cute animals to look at. And just, yes, nice environment most of the time. Usually uh, in the, those state fair type uh, things, uh, you know, in the U.S., it's like all the food is deep fried. It's like <laughs> yeah. uh, deep fried corn dogs and Oreos and ice cream. And, you know, like I said, uh, don't see the doctor the day after. No. If, if you're going to take a cholesterol test, right? Yeah, it's a lot of things on sticks, but it's also it's it's, it's much more varied now. <laughs> yes, it's much more varied. I mean, I mean I haven't been to Perth in 19 years, so but what I've heard hasn't changed much. Uh, but you mentioned carnivals. I was about to say, speaking of carnivals, uh, so Peg gets up. Uh-oh, she looks like she slips on a bonbon, and bang, I hear car- carnival music. Well, first I see a stunt woman falling, and then I hear carnival music. Today on Oprah, a clean house is a safe house. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Peg, no, no. You know, and as I was listening to it last night, I mean, I added this to the notes. The carnival music is very reminiscent of the song Spinning Wheel by Blood, Sweat and Tears. Uh, you know, it, it's it's sort of like a messed up version of it, but uh, it it sounded very very similar. So maybe we should just play a snippet of that. We should. That's the song that goes. What goes up? Correct. Etc. Etc. Et Correct. Yeah. Yep. So I need to hear that again because I can't say that jumped out at me. Yes, I have to hear it again myself. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Luigi. But oh, poor pe- poor Peg. Uh, she looks pretty poorly, doesn't she? Lucky doesn't care. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say it's like the dog just like was was it like didn't flinch. 
<laughs> he, didn't, he didn't even say no. anything. He didn't even have one of his um, speeches. No, well, as we discovered, he does not speak this season. We don't see him quite so much, but he does look like his fur has grown a lot since season 10 because he's sitting on the armchair and he looks like his fur is just fanned out around him. He looks like a big puddle of dog. <laughs> and then he gets up and, and he walks past the unconscious peg and he's just licking things off the floor and then runs off. So he's he's very cute, but it's he, he has no he has no point at all. Yeah, maybe they thought the whole dog talking joke got old. Um, that's my theory why Lucky doesn't speak in season eleven because the writers may have thought that joke's getting old. Uh, that's just my theory because I mean a lot of long running shows will retire um a long running joke like the credits of South Park retired Kenny dying every episode after five seasons, for example. Also, I think um maybe no one wanted to do the voice or they couldn't find anyone who sounded like. Kim Westcoff, it's gone by this point. Uh, that's that's probably the more valid reason. That's probably the more valid reason because that was a more long, long-running joke season-wise and episode-wise than this and Kenny dying was in South Park. But, I mean, to me, the classic, you know, voice is Kevin Coran. Yes. I, I, like he, he had more of, like, I'd say that touch of sarcasm in, in, in the terms <laughs> of the way the voice was always delivered. Yes. Uh, like, like, that, to me, is my preferred voice for the dog, whether it was Buck or Lucky. Yeah, that's the definitive voice. And it's not because I'm an originalist, right? <laughs> <laughs> when, when, it, when it comes to Married with Children, I, I just think that the voice... I mean, Cheech... I mean, even Cheech Marin's voice, like, didn't sound natural with Buck. No, it's, it's nothing more than a fun cameo. Correct, correct. Yeah, so... Uh... Yeah, the the, I mean, the the voice is more likely why Lucky doesn't speak, especially in a scene like this. Uh, if Kim Vyskov was still in the, on the show, I'm sure Lucky would have said something. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I mean, it could have been like it, it could have been like a one liner. It's like you know, like she never. It could have been something like she doesn't feed me, so why should I get up? Or you know, something yeah. like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if not for those crumbs in her cleavage, I wouldn't eat at all and just go. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Peg's out for the count. She is, she is. So then Al comes back. Uh, he doesn't He doesn't care or doesn't know that Peg is actually knocked out. Uh, sarcastically talks to a cocked out Peg about, you know, oh, oh, give me a beer, things like that. <laughs> then he eats popcorn off the floor. It's like, hmm. Ew! <laughs> I'm home! Oh, Peg, don't, don't get up! <laughs> What's that, a beer? Sounds good. <laughs> now let me get it. Way to home make, Peg. <laughs> what am I complaining about? There's food in the house or her mouth is shut? Poor, poor Peggy, but at least her children, their children are more concerned. Well, not straight away, but they don't really notice. They seem to have a conversation about birth control. And for future reference, the next time a producer asks you what your method is, please don't say the sponge. Well, at least my form of birth control isn't Miss Piggy Sheets. I do not use Miss yes, Piggy Sheets anymore. No, 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 Keep it down! Keep it down! Your mother needs a rest. <laughs> the house is a mess. The family's starving. Her work here is done. Not let telling producers about what method is. Don't not saying the sponge. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly hits back about Bud using Miss Piggy sheets. He might use Miss Piggy sheets. <laughs> well, well, uh, Bud did say at one point that uh, Miss Piggy was hot, right? Yes, in a Bundy Thanksgiving. 
Oh, she's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people, like, if you hear The Sponge, people probably think of the Seinfeld episode about The Sponge, called The Sponge. That was from 1995, late 1995, so this is very reminiscent and recent. But it's probably a reference, as Luigi says, to the Today Sponge. Now, just a good preface is I do I am not an expert on sponges, but as the resident female here, I will say, thank you for taking sponge. this one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will jump on that grenade. the The Today Sponge is a brand of plastic contraceptive sponge saturated with a spermicide nine to prevent conception. Within two years of its launch. Today's sponge had become the largest selling over-the-counter female contraceptive in the United States and was soon rolled out into other markets. In 1995, Seinfeld's episode The Sponge revolved around Elaine's attempts to procure her favourite form of birth control, the discontinued Today's Sponge, and her rationing them based on whether a potential partner was deemed sponge-worthy. This was later revisited in the series finale when the pharmacist testifies against Elaine for buying a case of sponges. (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll, if I ever watch all, all of Seinfeld I'll have to make sure I keep an eye out for that episode I've seen bits of Seinfeld but I, I can't remember if I've seen that episode So you think you're sponge worthy? Yes I think I'm sponge worthy I think I'm very sponge worthy Now I remember you know contemporaneously you know around that time uh, you know I'd say like that Seinfeld episode like really it entered the vernacular very quickly mm. So, you know, you'd occasionally, like, drop in on, uh, you know, sort of girl talk. <laughs> you know, if you'd see, like, a, a bunch of females together. And uh, I, I will say I've probably heard, you know, a woman say sponge-worthy more than once, <laughs> you know, in my life. So it was just funny how um, it entered the vernacular very quickly. <laughs> yes, I felt we're good at that. It was very – Seinfeld was huge in Australia, too, especially – Yes, for, all throughout the 90s and even in the 2000s and reruns. So a lot of Australians would have seen that as well. I'm not sure if the sponge was um, commonly used in Australia, but p- people would at least know from Seinfeld. But yes, yeah, so back, so speaking of contraception, uh, so back in uh, Bundy Thanksgiving, which was um, filmed after this, uh, Bud admits to liking Miss Piggy, so it would make sense he would use his, her sheets as a form of contraception. <laughs> <laughs> And I've also noticed there was a big dent in the coffee table. Uh... Like it's been hit by a big hard hairdo? <laughs> I know, uh, as, as noted by Nancy Drool and Hart Hardly Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this TV guide. And the last chocolate stain was at three o'clock today. <laughs> She's obviously been unconscious for hours. Hey, and look. There's a dent on the coffee table, like like it's been hit by a big, hard hairdo. Listen, Nancy, drool and hardly boy. It's impossible for your mother to have fallen, because that would mean that at some point she would have to have been standing. Mom stands. I saw her the other day. That was just to shake the crumbs out of her cleavage. Well, Nancy Drew is a fictional character, a sleuth in an American mystery series created by publisher Edward Stratemeyer as the female counterpart to his Hardy Boy series. And the character first appeared in 1930. Wow. Uh, so speak, 
I will say, so, uh, obviously, Nancy Drew was, um, Nancy Drew was what I was calling Kelly, and I will say, I quite liked, uh, Kelly's, uh, blue dress with the flowers on it, I don't think I've seen that dress before, if I, or if I have, I just noticed it more in this episode, uh, as for the hard, uh, hardly, I mean, Hardy <laughs> boys, Frank and Joe Hardy, they were they're fictional characters appearing in several mystery series for children and teenagers, revolving around um, said boys who are teenagers, amateur sleuths to be precise, solving cases, stumping their adult counterparts, created by American writer Edward Strattonever, the founder of book packaging firm Strattonever Syndicate. The books themselves written by several ghost writers under the collective pseudonym Franklin W. Dixon. Evolved since their debut in 1927, beginning in 1959, the books were extensively revised, partially to eliminate racial stereotypes, and also written in a simpler style to compete with the then-growing medium of television. Now, did have, did either of you ever read those books when you were younger? Uh, I'm not sure how big they were in Australia. We had some American books that were big here, or at least uh, read to me, or that I read in primary school, but not those ones, no, Luigi. No, um, I, th- I think my dad read the Hardy Boys when he was a youngin, but I think by the time, by my generation, there were much more newer, there were newer and much more popular things for kids of my age to, to yeah, read. I, I remember uh, in my school library, uh, they had like an entire collection of Hardy Boys books, and I probably read most of them. And I'm going to say it's well over 20. I'm going to say somewhere between like 20 and 30 uh, different versions. And they were, I think, the 1959 version of them. I remember they were hard-covered, blue, blue covers. Um, you know, and I think, like, they're probably appropriate for, like, third and fourth graders in terms of, like, reading levels. Uh, or maybe as they were back then. You know, I, I don't know if... Because uh, <laughs> um, I think even my own children, like, read A Hardy Boys recently um, this past year, and my younger one was in third grade, so... Sounds about right. But, you know, it's written for, like, young boys. And then I remember the girls would read Nancy Drew um, just because of the, you know, effectively you'd have the, the lead character be male or female. But uh, they were pretty popular, at least uh, into the 80s. I don't know, like, sort of what's happened recently with them. But, you know, a good way of, like, reading, you know, encouraging kids to read. Nice, nice. Uh, well, we'll say briefly on the subject of reading. So when I was that age, in the middle years of primary school, my go-tos were the Goosebumps books from the 90s. Oh, I read Goosebumps too, yeah. I had actually I had most of them at one point, yeah. Yeah, they were good. And yeah, it was Goosebumps, and then for the, the, the female side of things, it was the Babysitter's Club. That I remember seeing, because my younger sister, I think, read those. But I, I don't think I heard of Goosebumps. Very big between about 93 and 98 by R.L. Stein. It was also adapted into a TV show in 95 where they adapted a good number of the books into uh, TV episodes. On Fox, I think. Yeah, on, Fox, on Channel 10 in Australia, but yeah, Fox in the US. I've seen some episodes of Goosebumps. Not a full out, but they had the original commercials. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I guess, you know, it is generational. I mean, because, like, for me, I was already in high school and college in those years, so it's not something I would have paid attention to. But anyway, it's impossible for Peg to have fallen because that would mean at some point she'd have to be in standing. Well, I mean, Bud is a good concern because he was able to tell that her last chocolate stain on the TV guide was at 3 p.m. Because, obviously, she's been unconscious for hours, yes. And obviously not eating anything, yeah. 
And, you know, this is also a little time capsule for our youngins who listen to the podcast because, you know, the way you used to watch television before you had an online guide was you actually had the book, <laughs> the TV guide, and you would turn the page and, you know, you would say, well, today's Wednesday, it's three o'clock, and you'd have a listing of everything that was on at three o'clock, um, you know, so... <laughs> It would make sense that Peg, if she was eating a bonbon, like she would have her thumb on like sort of what was on there. However, I mean, if, if you watch as much TV as Peg, you probably already had the TV guide memorized. Yeah. True. But, you know, new shows come on, old shows go off. I used to love reading TV Guide when I was a boy. Uh, it was good, you know, to see when my favorite shows were on, to, ma- to make sure that it'd be updated or when I had planned maintenance of the TV channels. Uh, heck. I'm the youngest of the three of us, and even I remember when one of our TV channels shut down for the night. <gasps> well, I mean, but the, the difference also I think people need to realize is before you had cable television, what was broadcast was, again, in a major television market, for example, I could speak for New York City. You know, we had, I don't know, seven sh- stations, I'm going to say. So, and, and that's not including the UHF because there could be more, but there was only, it was only always a handful of extra stations. So you can sort of have a TV guide for, you know, that would be the size of like a small little notebook for the week. I mean, try, try replicating that in today's world with a thousand stations, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you, it, you'd almost be printing a phone book every week, right? It would. It would be so, uh, it would be so, um, or, um, complicated to do these days and uh you just reminded me of another thing luigi speaking of all these tv channels that's exactly the reason why there will never be as high highly rated in terms of viewers of a tv series finale as mash cheers or seinfeld ever again that's right well you know part of the nature of the beast you know and i have told everyone my story of married with children you know again i watched the pilot um how i discovered it was a tv guide article uh-huh you know i i you know i that week, I mean, there was a lot of publicity about the launch of the new network. Um, I think as a kid, I was probably most interested in 21 Jump Street. Ah, yes. You know, because, I, because I was used to the action type of shows that existed at the time. And there was an article about this new TV show where father doesn't know best. And, and I remember, you know, reading the article and it just sort of like something clicked in my brain. It's like, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm I I'm, I said to myself after reading the article, it's like, yeah, I'm actually tired of watching these uh, sitcoms, these family sitcoms, where it's the same thing over and over again. You know, it's father knows best and mother knows best, and the kids get into some kind of, you know, situation, and the parents usually, uh, you know, sort of bail them out and teach them a lesson and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I had... Uh, uh, I think a very well-developed uh, sense of comedy, you know, since I'd watched a lot of uh, television, old stuff, uh, you know, going back to probably even Chaplin, you know, which you could find on uh, broadcast television when I was a kid. Uh, you know, Chaplin, The Three Stooges, uh, and just like old movies from like the 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, Abbott and Costello. So when I read that article in TV Guide, I was like, wow, like this looks interesting. And like, like I said, I just... I watched that Fox premiere. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think it they, it aired seven, eight, and nine that evening because you you had the, it. It was three airings, and I I watched the eight o'clock broadcast, not the seven, and then I watched it again at nine because I I enjoyed it so much. I was going to ask because you which some, one you saw. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was. I, no, I remember distinctly. I know, like you could say, it's like, do you remember that far back? And yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, but but you know, it just left me with such an impression. It's like, wow, this is so different than anything that I had seen. And and if you think about it, you know, that pilot episode was not very outrageous. Um, you know, in terms of comedy, as like let's say by the time you got to the second season. But um, like I said, I mean, I was hooked. I mean, once like I saw that, I was like, you know, this is pretty funny. Um, you know, I mean, the stuff that was coming out of Al's mouth, you know, was not like, was unlike anything that had come out of anyone else's mouth in terms of being a dad. And, you know, and the kids being like those bad kids that effectively on the other sitcoms, they were always like those bad friends that, you know, you wanted to learn the lesson from. And the fact that, you know, you never, um, you know, they never had that lesson uh, at the end of the um, at the end of the show, like made it something different. And that's what made me a fan of this show. And then it just progressed from there. I've got a couple of those ads, <clears throat> those articles on my Facebook page. I've got some articles there, mostly from around this time and when they were gearing up and advertising the pilot. So I've got a couple more ad to add. So keep an eye out for these. But that's, you know, my memory of TV Guide. You know, I, I know we went off on a little tangent, but that's. You know, I, I always say like that to me was what spurred me to watch this show. Um, and like, I feel like it's a lost time because nowadays, you know, you turn the TV on, you put a guide on and you have to scroll through, you know, hundreds of television stations and you feel like there's nothing on. Yeah. Unless, unless you know what you want to watch and you can search for it on an app. Yeah. Search function. Otherwise, <laughs> you're just searching and channel surfing for days and days it's like a streaming services if you want something you don't know what to watch but you try to look for something while you eat dinner then you eat dinner in three seconds before you've even found something yeah and you know i mean last point i want to make on this before we move on is you know when we had like again in my market again let's say seven television stations i had to make a decision at some point you know, have you ever, ever sat in front of the uh, television? It's like you just keep scrolling through and it's like 30 minutes passes by as you're scrolling through. And it's like, ah, no, nah, I don't want to see that. But, but, but the fact that you have so many options available to you and the fact that you have streaming and all that, it still feel like there's nothing on, at least for me. Uh, and then and you always go back to the staples of things that you like. But when it's like I only had, let's say, seven to ten options it's like, well, I'm going to have to pick one. And I feel like that exposed me to more different type of genres, films, and television. It's like, I feel like I, you know, back then in the, in the mid eighties, mid to late eighties, like I was watching more television, more different kinds of television that, um, and genres of television that I probably wouldn't watch today because I just have all these options. Good points, Luigi. Good points. I mean, uh, I mean, I've only got Netflix in terms of streaming services, but uh, yes, I mean, you find between friends and recommendations, the sheer amount, the sheer amount of choice we've got today. Uh, I find, oh, I find like I start this show, start that show, start this show. Da -da 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 -da. But a lot of us are my own personal research, Luigi. Hence why I've gone to other shows you like, like say All in the Family. A lot of us are my own personal research. Uh, and you know, and that's even uh, translated into newspapers. You know, I've I've always said to myself, like now today, like I read a newspaper on my phone, on my mobile, you know, this mobile app I read, I have a subscription 
when I actually had a physical paper, so if I go back 20 years ago when I still was walking around with a physical newspaper, you know, we talked about the comics, you know, I would thumb through the paper and maybe visit some sections that maybe didn't, like, let's say, necessarily pique my interest. I'll use health as an example, the health section. Today, like, I may not necessarily pay attention to it because I can sort of skip it and I'm just going to read the type of things that I want to read. But when you have the physical paper in front of you and you're thumbing through the pages, you know, maybe a headline sort of catches your interest and you read it. And like, I just feel like as a society, that's what's happened to us. It's like, you know, we sort of gravitate toward what really our interests are and we're not necessarily exposed to other things that, um, that could potentially be informative or, you know, or a form of entertainment to us, et cetera. So that's one of the things like I feel like it's been lost as a society. And I don't know if you guys agree or, you know, have similar experiences. Yeah, that's a fair. That's a f- fair assessment. Yes. I mean, uh, so, so much has changed in this is a relatively little period of time. I'm sure in another 30 years, it'll be just as different again. Oh, absolutely. Your mother doesn't need a doctor. She's breathing. She's fine. Now relax and let daddy enjoy his weekend. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Damn. Am I in hell? No, Peg. If you were in hell, you'd be on a throne and the devil would be packing. <laughs> nice, nice to see the stinky feet still of a use. Well, they can kill birds. They can, and they can make oxygen masks deploy on planes. <laughs> <laughs> but Peg doesn't know where she is. Or who she is. Who are you people? I don't recognize you at all. Well, in that case, thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Only thing you have to know is Route 55 is the quickest way out of town. Oh my God, Mom has Indonesia. I'm not Kelly. Don't bother the nice lady. She's just on her way out. Where am I going? You're going to see your family. They must miss you. You seem like a very nice person. Have a nice life. Oh no! Now Dad's got it. She has Indonesia. <laughs> Yes, um, one of our final <laughs> Kelly Bunkerisms, as I call them, on the show. Mm. And I think Archie Bunker once said magnesia instead of amnesia, if I remember correctly. Well, Kelly said that in season seven. I must have magnesia. She did, but I swear I remember Archie Bunker saying that too at some point, something like that. Well, possibly. Yeah, you could at least try it. What would you say if you cooked dinner and Michael wouldn't eat any of it? I'd say that the meathead probably got magnesia and forgot where his mouth was. <laughs> I mean, if, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that a diuretic? Yes, it is. Milk and magnesium, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, Mum has Indonesia. <laughs> And she doesn't recognise Al, Kelly, or Bud either. Uh, Al, at first, wants to get rid of her. Well, the only thing she has to know is Route 55 is the quickest way out of town, which, sure, why not? Well, Route 55 here in Perth does not leave Perth, so she's, she's, he's obviously not talking about here. Rather, the Interstate 55, or I-55, 
It's a ma one of the major interstate highways in the central United States. As with most interstates that ends in a 5, it's a major cross-country north-south route. This one goes from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to the Great Lakes. So it starts in La Place, Louisiana, at the uh, Interstate 10, to all the way up to Chicago, meeting the junction of the of the I of US Route 41 at McCormick Place. So major US cities the I-55 connects to are from south to north, New Orleans, Jackson, Mississippi, Memphis, Tennessee, St. Louis, Missouri, and Chicago, Illinois. Between Chicago and St. Louis, it was built as an alternate route for a more famous um, route, the infamous Route 66, which even Australians know of, and across the Mississippi, Mississippi River twice, once at Memphis and again at St. Louis. So, imagine there would be a lot of freight in that route, pretty popular with public holiday makers, so definitely a key route for, say, um, the, the, the Bundys, I'm sure, would have taken at some point to get to the beaches of the south. Well, in Chicago, just so you know, they have the Great Lakes, so there's a lot of beaches along the lake. True. I'm, I'm probably thinking, thinking, but, you know, me living near a seaside, probably just thinking of... I probably prefer the beaches and say the South to runs in the Great Lakes myself. I've never been to the US, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean the the Great Lakes are big enough that there are waves. Um, cool. All you know, right. But, but you know, from Chicago to try to get to the ocean, I mean, it'd be a long drive. And I have been on Route 55 in both St. Louis and Chicago. Um, and again, just like any other interstate, <laughs> um, you know, they they're they're big, lots of cars, and uh, they help you get around. So in peak hour, it would be basically a car park? Probably. Yeah, we got those here in Australia, Luigi. Don't sweat it. <laughs> but, at least you, but at least they have some continuity in the sense that they are centering the conversation to Chicago. You know, yes, they so, like, remembered like, what city they're in. Yeah. Right, like, you know, because sometimes you know, we've had it that they're using uh, things that are local to California. Yeah. Uh, like some sometimes they talk about fast food places that would not exist in Chicago. So, you know, so this is actually something good. It's like, all right, it is in Chicago. So, we we do know that uh, it's centered. You know, the the sitcom is centered there, and they haven't forgotten that. Yes, thank you, writers, for doing your research, especially in the early days of the internet. We couldn't just bang in your keyboard saying, "Oh, what's what's Chicago known for?" Now, as for well. Peg's diagnosis of Indonesia, well, that's a country known to a lot of Australians because it's actually uh, one of our closest neighbours. So it's the Republic of Indonesia, Southeast Asia and Oceania, between the Indian Pacific o and Pacific Oceans, consists of more than 17,000 islands, including Borneo or Kalimantan, Sulawesi, Java, Sumatra, and New Guinea, the east of which is Papua New Guinea, largest island nation, 14th largest in area, and over 267 million people, which is the fourth most populous country in the world and the most populous Muslim-majority country. And Java is home to more than half of the country's population. I'd also like to add the island of Bali, which is in southern Indonesia, is very popular with Australian holidaymakers, especially here in Perth. Uh, there's a lot of people, in, in, especially in Perth, who've been to Bali, but never have been to even other states of Australia. And so it's a bit like our version of, say, Mallorca, Ibiza, some of the Caribbean islands, uh, where people go just to, you know, enjoy cheap beer and, and hotel rooms by the pool, not really experience, say, the local culture, if you get my drift, Luigi. 
yeah, one, of, I mean, one of those places. I, I definitely want to try to at some point get to the other side of the world and experience some of these things. Yes, there is a lot to explore in Bali, Indonesia itself, but a lot of people will just go to Bali just to, you know, uh, just for like cheap beer and hotel room and pools, pool, so to speak. Yeah, I think I'm the only person in Australia who has not been to Bali. Uh, uh, that's, incor- that's, incor- that's incorrect, Annabelle, because I haven't been either. Oh, okay, then that's okay. Maybe there should be a Married with Children podcast uh, field trip <laughs> to Bali, right? To Bali. I think Chris can meet us there, too. Yeah. Yes. Married with Children podcast reunion. Yay! <laughs> but yes. <laughs> I think Kelly's the one with Indonesia because oh, she said Bum's got Indonesia. <laughs> and Al, then she thinks Al has it <laughs> because she doesn't get Al's sarcasm. Oh, Kelly. <laughs> Where are your family? See... I'm your daughter, Kelly, and this is your son, Quasimodo. Speaking of humps, why don't we tell Mommy your nickname? The Little Fur Maid. You know, I don't remember any of you, but if you say you're my family, I guess it's true. Why would we lie about something the courts have ruled on repeatedly? Feeling better, Mom. Well, Quasi, my head kind of hurts. <laughs> and I'm starving. Aren't you guys hungry? You know, we're I'm hungry. Starving. Oh, why don't I make some dinner then? <laughs> Mom's cooking? I'm going to call the doctor. Touch that phone, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that was that was a stupid funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Kelly uh, forgets Bud's name because uh, while she's jogging Peg's memory, she says, "I'm your daughter Kelly, and this is your son, Quasimodo." <laughs> Another good literary reference. Yeah, I'm surprised with a lot of uh, by the amount of literary references <laughs> for season eleven. Well, actually, this one, this one, this one, this one isn't actually that surprising, Annabelle, because although Quasimodo is from the um, 1831 novel by Victor Hugo, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and uh, Quasimodo was born a hunchback and feared by the townspeople as a sort of monster, he finds sanctuary and unlikely love and is fulfilled only in death. I've read the book. I actually read the book when I was in primary school. That same the same year this was filmed and aired, the fa- filmed and then um well aired the f- oh, yeah same year it was filmed in 1996. The Hunchback of Notre Dame was turned into a Disney film, which was obviously they changed the plot so Quasimodo doesn't die. It came out on the 21st of June 1996 in the United States, so it was a it was a new film at the time, so that's why they would have made a reference to Quasimodo. Right. And and the name of in the name if I'm not mistaken, Quasimodo means almost a man. So Indeed. Like sort of Kelly's yeah, almost so, a so, man. So, half right. So Kelly's just saying, you know, Bud is almost a man. Yeah, half formed. Right. Yeah, ha- correct. Quasimodo means half formed. Yes, yeah, I, I remember watching That's the film it. when okay. I was a boy. Well, speaking of humps, <laughs> what's Kelly's nickname? <laughs> it's the Little Mermaid. Another Disney reference and literary reference. Indeed. So The Little Mermaid is the 1989 American animated musical romantic fantasy film produced by Walt Disney. And it's the 28th Disney animated feature film and the first film in the Little Mermaid franchise and the second in the chronology of the story running through the series. It is loosely based on the Danish fairy tale of the same name by Hans Christian Andersen. 
And the film tells the story of a mermaid princess named Ariel who dreams of becoming human and falls in love with a handsome human prince named Eric. And a fun fact, I was recently in Denmark and there is a statue of the Little Mermaid in the city of Copenhagen, which is very famous. And nice. all, all the tourists go there and, uh, you know, I rode a bicycle there and took a picture of it. So I'm happy to share it with you. Nice. Yeah, I saw your pictures from your Scandinavian trip. It looked amazing, Luigi. But yeah, before we move on, I just want to say, so both of those Disney films were from the Disney Renaissance, so which will always be Disney to me from when I was a boy, uh, between 1989 and 1999, starting The Little Mermaid, ending with Tarzan, uh, brought Disney's animated films back into popular, back into um, the, big, the big light after a lull in the 70s and 80s, so those two Disney films, along with the others in that period, always hold a special place in my heart. Yeah, I did like the 90s Disney films, but by the end of the 90s, I'd I don't, I don't think I grew out of them because I still like them, but they, they're starting to change. Yeah, they did, they did. But um, those two and the rest of that period will always be um, good ones in my book. I'll make sure I bore my kids when I become a father with those films. <laughs> I think I sort of peaked with The Lion King because that was like the best movie ever when you're 13. So. Hey, it still holds up as an adult, you know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I love it so much that I, I'm afraid to see the remake. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But anyway, I do like that Peg calls Bud Quasi so casually. <laughs> Peggy! <laughs> well, to be fair, she has well, lost... She a... doesn't know. She thinks that's his name. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she has lost a memory after all. Uh, I mean, aside from, you know, Peggy not knowing her son's name, uh, well, we find out the courts have repeatedly ruled that Al and Peg are married, but Al's got a nice little scheme up his sleeve. Kids, now that we've retrained Mommy, I've come up with a schedule to maximize her productivity. <laughs> there are three of us, and Mommy can only work 24 hours a day. Why? There are two of us. So let's divide this up evenly. I get Mommy for 23 hours. You get her for one. Well, it's not fair. I, I love mommy more. <laughs> no, I love mommy more. But I'm the only one who had to love mommy. <laughs> There's not even time for mom to go to bed. Now you see the brilliance of my schedule. <laughs> I love the scheme that he devised. <laughs> that he comes up with. He's retrained her. Yeah, and look how, look how he splits her time. She can only work 24 hours a day. <laughs> when she meant to sleep. <laughs> I, and, you know, the thing is, you know, once you have this set up, you know that, I mean, you sort of, uh, in the back of your head, you already know how this is going to end, right? Well, let's face it, Luigi. This is married of children. Everyone who's watched the show up to this point, unless you're a first-time viewer, and even then you probably could figure out that you can't have Peggy in this mode for the rest of the series. But the brilliance of his schedule is there's no time for and, to go to bed. And, you know, for, I mean, for those of you, I mean, we're going to have like sort of a reference to Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners now. But uh, this is very reminiscent of the classic 39 uh, episodes of the Honeymooners. You know, Ralph always has a a scheme. You know, like actually like Al's scheme would be like almost no different than uh, Ralph Cramden's scheme on the Honeymooners. There's always like a scheme. It's like it's foolproof, blah, blah, blah. And then it comes crashing down. 
So, um, I mean, there's a couple of tributes to the honeymooners I feel like that are in this episode. So, uh, we'll, we'll get to them as, as we come along. But, uh, <laughs> like I said, you're already set up to, to know where the, uh, where the fall is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Before that, we get this, 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 what doesn't feel like a setup, but then, um, ultimately is a setup for the epilogue is when Kelly says something about the bathroom, about the window in the bathroom. Yep. You guys got to see how clean mom got the bathroom upstairs. Did you know that there is a window above the sink? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no window in the bathroom. Yes, there is. It looks into the house next door. You know, there's this girl there who looks exactly like me. Every time I look over there, she's always staring at me. Maybe she's a lesbian. Maybe she's an idiot. <laughs> There's a house next door with a girl who looks exactly like Kelly. <laughs> yeah, our Peggy has certainly been um, cleaning, that's for sure. Uh, finding all these things in the house that they never knew about. Hi, Al. I got all the stuff for your wrestling party. Oh, except those special french fries that you love. I thought I'd just crinkle cut them myself. Is that okay? Well, I'll let it slide, Peg, since you're still recovering. You know, I am a little tired. Are you sure that I don't sleep at all? <laughs> Ever? It's odd, isn't it? Just so much to relearn. Let's see, I think I've got it, though. I love housekeeping. I hate shopping, except for groceries. And I can't stand that stupid Oprah Winfrey show. Very good, honey. Now, there's just one more thing. You hate sex. Don't want it, have no use for it. I know it's tragic, but I've learned to live with it many years ago. That's why you have to go to the Jiggly Room. That's it. To spare you. Al, you are such a good husband. You've been so patient with me. And I got you a copy of Biggins. I cut out all the articles so they won't slow you down. <laughs> oh, baby. You're the greatest. She's dressed like... How would you how would you explain this? She to me she's dressed in traditional 1950s television housewife clothing. She yes. looks she looks like Audrey Meadows. She looks like Alice yeah. from the Honeymooners in color. Yeah, obviously in color, of course, but yes, uh definitely um what the honeymoon Alice and the Honeymooners would have looked like if it had premiered in 1965 and not 1955. <laughs> yeah, coincidentally, Audrey Meadows had died uh, that year. Uh, in, in 1996. Before or after this was filmed? Before. Hmm, so perhaps an intentional tribute. Possibly. I like the pearls. And, yeah. yep. She's the red-headed housewife, you know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, she slaves over the kitchen and, you know, and the wash and all that. I mean, the only thing is, I mean, what they share is the sharp tongue, but, you know, whereas Peg is lazy... You know, Alice was very hardworking. 
that she was, she was. Yeah, sir. One of the earliest greats of American television, that's for sure. Well, actually, sitcoms in general. Yeah. So the earliest great British sitcom was didn't premiere until 1962. I did like the bat in the cover, though. <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> I actually screenshotted that, because I'm... Oh. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was a great gag. Yeah. That, yeah, it's been an impressive effect. They're not even that phased by it. She's just like, oh, and then closes the cupboard and moves on. <laughs> well, think of some of the other things that have been in the Bundy house over the years. Uh, I don't think a bat in the cupboard would phase them. No. Remember, like, anthrax, they ate the mystery meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, even Dad won't eat the mystery meat. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are cool. Everyone's got standards. <laughs> Peg's been shopping, and, you know, she's just bought... Two whole bags of stuff, including a Biggins. Yes, a Biggins. And she's cut out all the articles. What is this? I'm pretty sure that Biggins, you, you can't really get a good shot of the cover, but I reckon it's the same template that they've used for the rest of the season. Matt, you remember in Requiem for a Chevy Wait, we talked about the Cubans and Biggins having the same cover. Yep. Yeah, there we go. I'm, I'm, so I'm watching the episode now, exactly the same cover. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it has to be a PG version, right, of a of a skin magazine, yeah. right? Of course, because, I mean, Married to Children, I mean, uh, was obviously a TV PG, TV 14 show at most, so uh, had to be have some standards when they showed biggins. Right. So, I mean, it would just make sense that they would reuse the same prop, right? And also, you know, TV screens were smaller back then. People probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have even noticed. Yep. True. You know, on our Facebook page, someone posted about how I was using software to uh, uh, turn the episodes into high definition, if you saw that recently. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, I don't know, we might see some more detail that we never saw before, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's tempting. John Blaze is his name. It's a big job, but... I I live in hope for a Blu-ray release. Uh, You're married to children with upscaled episodes. I mean, as I've told you before, I've already bought two of my good friends uh, the the complete series for their birthdays. uh, And I've got, like I mentioned before, I've got a third friend of mine who also might buy the series for too. Of course, I'd rebuy it myself. Of course. Yeah, I did have uh, some back and forth with this guy who's upscaling these clips. Uh, I just hope he posts them when he gets them. But imagine the disk space on that. Yeah, have to buy a petabyte of storage somewhere, right? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, be worth it though. Oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah definitely, Louis. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can just we can all share in a somewhere something online. Oh, I'll tell you what, it'd be worth right. it. That's... But yeah, so aside from cutting out articles from Biggins, uh, what else is Peggy doing? She's crinkle cutting her own handmade chips, and she's not sleeping. Hey, about to say, hey, Peg, make some chips for me, too, and don't skip it a mushy piece of gravy, thanks. <laughs> I don't think Al eats that stuff, right? He likes burgers and fries. Stuff True, that comes I mean, out of, uh, stuff you can order from a clown's head, right? True, I mean, I mean I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure Al's British counterpart, Ted Butler, from Marriage for Life, would eat mushy peas and gravy, but yes, uh, yeah, one of the worst um, remakes of any show f- from across the p- either side of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> I thought you were about to say Ted Bundy. No, 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 Ted Butler. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be human fries, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, after your conversation the the other week with, with Sheila, I mean... <laughs> <that was funny. laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, 
quickly, I was to say, funny story. When I was helping out in my friend's garage sale last month and I was talking about pop vinyls to uh, someone who walked in, he thought I was an absolute psycho when I showed him a picture of my Married to Children pop vinyls. He's like, you have Ted Bundy pop vinyls? What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, Peg's eyes. New Peg's eyes. Al's being such a good husband. And so that's why she's cut the articles out of Biggins. And that's when we get the, the Honeymooners reference. Well, the first honeymoon that's difference, right. other than outfit. That's right. I mean, and that's again the usually the closing line of uh, almost all the honeymooners episodes. From yeah, the classic 39. Baby, it, of the classic, even even of the lost episodes, I will tell you, uh, I do have a DVD collection of the lost episodes. It's like two hundred, but they're very short. Like you know, they're they mix. There, it's a mix. Like it could be like a six minute segment, or a segment that's forty five minutes long. You know, it was a really. Uh, it wasn't like a standard 22-minute sitcom uh, when it was on the variety shows. And um, that's usually the key. And I feel like that was almost like a cue that they did to just say, it's like, hey, the segment is over. Like, baby, you're the greatest. And, you know, that was the end of the segment. Yep. End of act one. No, no, end, no, end of the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, but uh, here uh, it's used. Correct. That's yeah. right. All right, so Alan Peck are both happy for now. Yeah, for now, everything's just fine in the Bundy house. No problems at all. <laughs> How does she get them so crinkalicious? <laughs> I could really learn to love that woman. Hey, Daddy. You, uh, you might not remember this, but before your accident, you had promised me a new car. <laughs> Pumpkin, you may not remember this, but mommy is the vegetable in the family. Oh, all right. Uh. <laughs> well, the other one. Pumpkin, can you see who's at that door? No. Maybe I need glasses. But yeah, then we get these these crinkalicious chips. Oh yeah, uh, and we find out that there's two vegetables in the family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, Kelly's now in a third outfit for the episode. Now we're in black, and well, she's got the right idea, but Al didn't have Indonesia. Peg did, so. Nice try for trying to get a new car, Kelly, but no. Yeah, and just to rub in how dumb she's gotten this season, and the doorbell rings, and Al says, can you see who's at that door? What does Kelly do? Literally see the door. Yes! And, and you know, sort of like if we ever had a chance to talk to Christina Applegate, you know, very, very slight chance, you know, that would be like a kind of question I'd ask her. It's like... She's obviously like a very intelligent person, and you know, the character's been has always been depicted as stupid. Although, like that's evolved through the years, but I just I would really ask her. It's like season eleven script. Like, what was your opinion about that? Because it's like it's almost beyond. You know, like I'm saying to me, it's like it's almost so stupid that it's not funny anymore. Yeah, I, I've commented on that on the other episodes that we've reviewed. I mean, the Christmas episode and uh, Requiem for a Chevy Wait where two of the dumbest Kelly jokes, uh, not that Kelly is being dumb, but they're just dumb jokes. So it's just lazy writing, lazy joke telling, and, and it's just, it's, yeah, lazy and tired 
and a bit obvious. I don't know. Sometimes it's okay because of the the reactions from other other characters. Yeah, I just, these really really stupid jokes. Like the really Kelly is really really stupid. How can, can she stand and put one foot in front of the other? Kind of stupid. That's that's not funny. Right. You know. I, I mean. Uh, I think Carolyn uh, said it when we uh, when we did the episode with Carolyn this uh, season. Yeah, you know, it's like she's almost so. Uh, Carolyn said she's almost so stupid she forget to breathe. You know, I, th- <laughs> I, I think that was that was the, that's the case. Yeah. And to me, it's like that's not funny. Like to me, what's funny is, you know, like uh, something where I mean, you can be a, some a character who's stupid, but like almost like you're making a literary reference, right? I mean, uh, you know, you're quoting you know, uh, Victor Hugo or something like that. Like I mean, something that makes it like the Quasimodo joke works. Like, I mean, like, here it is, like, she's well-read enough or seen a movie that she can call her brother Quasimodo, and then all of a sudden it's like, go see who's at the door, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. she's, she's become Amelia Bedelia, if you remember that <laughs> that character, right? Oh, wow. You, you know? Yeah. That, that, to me, is is the contrast, and so I'm, I don't like the way that she's written um, when, when it comes to that. So, like, again, that would be my question for her if we ever had that chance. Mm, agreed. Who knows? One day we might get to ask her. But, yes, um, no doubt if I get the opportunity to interview Ms. Ms. Applegate, uh, I might be too starstruck to speak to her. But who, speaking of the door, uh, who's that? Hang on. It's Jefferson. Okay, Al. I'm here. Hey, hey. Hey, do I smell food? <laughs> Jefferson, my man, I got more food stuck in my teeth than my colon seen in many a year. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Al. <laughs> oh, I'm not sharing it. You <laughs> seem happy, Al. It's a miracle, buddy. Behold. Oh, pig! Excuse me while I just rinse out these gloves. You know, considering what a good housekeeper I am, that shower drain was just filthy. There's a drain? (laughs) What's going on? Oh, um, uh, head injury, amnesia, reprogramming, crinkle fries. Don't tell Marcy. (laughs) Oh, Peg, this is our next-door neighbor, Jefferson. Oh, the freeloading gigolo. He smells food. (laughs) When Jefferson comes in, he kind of, it looks like he locks the door, like tries to latch it. I don't think he actually latched Correct. it. Like, if you're watching it, again, watching it on a bigger screen, you can see that he's not actually doing much, but it does look like he turns the latch on the knob. So I think it's just something he did not on purpose. He just did it automatically, perhaps on autopilot. We notice it because Marcy comes in a couple minutes after he does, and she just comes straight in. So I think he just instinctively maybe locked the door, but I don't think he actually locked locked it, but it was distracting. Yeah, I did notice that as well. I mean, usually they just walk in, so why is the door locked yeah. for the neighbor? And then it's like, well, it looks like he's almost locking it, but he's not because she's able to come in a few minutes later. So strange, but it's all right. It's all right. I could go with it. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I just think Ted McGinley did something while waiting for the audience to shut up, maybe. Yes, because we know, we know what the studio audience in Marriage of Children was like. So yeah, Jefferson does smell food. And Al's got this brilliant line. 
He's got more food stuck in his teeth than his colon's seen in many a year. I I love that. Uh, I don't know what it is, but this show has a thing for colon jokes. (laughs) (laughs) And they're always disgusting and funny. Yeah. Well, I remember like the commemorative Slim Jim (laughs) that was stuck (laughs) in his stomach, right? Yeah. From Super Bowl 17 (laughs) or something like that. That's what I was tasting. (laughs) And, uh, well, on the subject of culinary masterpieces, Peg has made some bologna from scratch. Would you like to try some bologna I made from scratch? It's part of the cavalcade of coal cuts. I'll be serving at Al's wrestling party. (laughs) Is that radish carved in the shape of Hulk Hogan? Nothing's too good for my Al. <laughs> Speaking of that, I'm about to do another load of underwear. Did you give me all your yellows? <laughs> now, is that a hard thing to do? I need an American's opinion. To make bologna? Yeah. yeah well, you know, I, I when I was a kid, I did work in a butcher shop, but uh, <laughs> we never made bologna. So, <laughs> I mean, that's the way you would pronounce it in English, right? Even though it's spelled bologna. Bologna. Uh, right, but uh, it's uh, bologna. But no, uh, I, I can't help you with that. But I mean, I would s- imagine it's no different than like making any, any other type of sausage. It's ground and seasoned and all that. But um, but the key line that uh, she says is it's part of a cavalcade of cold cuts. Now, that's not like a typical word that would be used. Now, you know, I had to look this up. A cavalcade is more of like a parade. Uh, and the root word comes from like a parade of horses from cavallo uh, in uh, Italian and also Latin. But there was a, the show that the Honeymooners de- debuted on was called The Cavalcade of Stars on the Dumont Television Network. So I feel like this was a, a reference, an obscure reference to... <laughs> um, the honeymooners again that I think the writers tried to insert in there. I'd buy it. I buy it. I too. mean, it's 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 obscure, and would have gone over a lot of people's heads. It's just a a random word. Perhaps she was going for a alliteration, but you know, it, it's plausible. Yes, you're right, and you're right. It is very alliterative because she has to say cavalcade of cold cuts, right? <laughs> but but um, I. When I heard that, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Honeymooners, as you can tell. So one of the reasons why I wanted to be yes. on this one. Uh, but that, to me, was the reason why they used that word. But yeah, we being TV fans and fans of old, older TV, we can, we can certainly make that work. <laughs> oh, especially. I agree. Uh, not good writing from the writers here. And there's also radish carved in the shape of Hulk Hogan on the uh, um, cavalcade cold cut platter. Yeah, again with the wrestling. And unfortunately, you know, Chris is the wrestling fan. Although, you know, when the last time I watched wrestling was when Hulk Hogan was the heavyweight champion. So, <laughs> uh, I I still think that people attribute that title to him, you know, more than more so than anyone else when they think of wrestling. Yeah. Nothing's too good for uh, her Al, as Peg said. Nothing's too good for her. Well, especially if she's willing to do several loads of yellow underwear. Ugh. Oh! Oh! 
Yeah. Aren't yeah, they they're all yellow, yellow, especially after all these years, because he <laughs> probably hasn't bought a new pair since the 70s. Well, no, I was, I was wondering how many pairs of underwear he has, because he's been using the same pair for a long, long time. Oh. The, th- the, yeah. the three packs in 79? Yeah. Like that. He's still got two he hasn't used yet. <laughs> <laughs> and if he was a real person, he probably would have still got one he hasn't used. <laughs> hey, where do I have to hit Marcy to make her like that? <laughs> Just hit her a new place every day. <laughs> Jefferson? <laughs> you worthless cabana boy. <laughs> I told you six times to wash the Mercedes and it's still filthy. Is that pine freshness? <laughs> hey, my shoes aren't sticking. What's going on? Someone else here? Uh, no, not really, Peg. I was just, uh, just tipping the paper. Well, thank you, Sonny. Now, don't be rude, Al. Perhaps the paper boy would like some homemade peach cobbler. Okay, I know I'm not in a parallel universe because Jefferson would be working and Al's fly would be zipped. So what the hell is going on? Well, it's very simple. I bumped my head, and now my loving husband, Al, is helping me to regain my former personality. (laughs) Really? Here we go. Al, you monster. Look, Peggy, I can't let this happen. There's something you have to know. Yes, there is, Peg. I forgot to tell you that, among other things, you love to wash and detail cars, especially Mercedes, right, uh, Marcy? So where do you have to hit someone to make them like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I will say that, you know, Marcy's costume uh, really does make her look like a paper boy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> bit of it. Bit of it, yep. Bit of it. But yeah, you know, Peg Full Made. And she's also talking about various other dishes she's made as well. Like, <laughs> perhaps the paper boy or Marcy would like some homemade peach cobbler. I think so. I think somebody had peach cobbler, maybe from the writing staff. Maybe they were a fan of it. <laughs> or back, to, back, to, back in season five, the dance show. You know, um, well, Al almost had the um, Pete's peach cobbler. He had Pete's potato, but he almost had Pete's, <laughs> Pete's, Pete's peach cobbler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me tell you that that image, you know, of Al with the dog bowl, like having the cake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I like, have no plates. It's like, well, it's okay. It's like, I have the name on the bowl. <laughs> uh, that gets me every time <laughs> because, like, how deadpan that he delivers it. I mean, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you have you have to give them, you know, credit. I mean, it's like it's farcical, right? But you know, the, yes. the deadpan delivery. You know, I mean, that to me is like, that's what makes it classic. And that, to me, it's like, you know, that's, the dance show is like a five. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it's it, totally. in, in my head, because it's, it's just written well, it's acted well. And again, like you could watch it a million times and I feel like you get the same reaction every single time. And yeah, and that, and contrast that to this. Yeah, do we have to? <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? But 
uh, like that's sort of like, again, in our analysis of season 11, this is sort of, uh, you know, we've seen the past and, you know, the present doesn't look as good, you know, and so. Yeah, it makes me nostalgic, like more so. I mean, I'd love for some of us to go back and review some of these season five, season four episodes and, and earlier in, in, yes. in some way, shape or form. But but yeah, we're in season 11. Yeah. It just makes me more anxious to go back and watch the first well, five seasons again. Yes, yes, I can see where you're coming from, Annabelle. I'll also quickly say, um, the, what, the, Pete, um, that sort of dish is one of those dishes I've yet to actually make myself. I've make, I make a nice brown Betty and crisp, never actually tried a cobbler yet. Uh, I have to add it to the list. I'll see if I can do a better job than Peggy. Whenever I've seen peach cobbler, like in a bakery, or if it was like something uh, like at a, on a menu, like I always order it. <laughs> Just because I always think of that. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it then, Luigi. I'm sure it's nice, but they're not, it's not really common here in Australia. No. We like our crumbles, which you call crisps, Luigi. We do? Okay, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I will either. say, if you're going to have peach cobbler, it should be warm. Yeah, I know, like a crumble or brown betty. I make, like I said, I make a nice brown betty, but you get to try cobbler. So no doubt, if Al Bundy was real when living in Perth, he'd probably be over my house frequently for, for dinner. Yeah, you got food. So the the paper boy does not want any peach cobbler because she's wondering what, if she's in a parallel universe. But if she was, Jeff Jefferson well, would be working and Al's fly would be zipped. But do you remember in last week's episode it was unzipped there too? Yes. Who never zips up his fly? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he needs to X, Y, Z, to quote The Simpsons, examine his zipper. Well, but Al, Al managed to whip Marcy back into line to tell Peg, you know, that she also loves washing and detailing cars, especially Mercedes-Benz or Mercedes. Yeah, what is the deal with Al's pronunciation of Mercedes? Because I'm pretty sure most Americans say Mercedes, right, Luigi? That's right. Yeah, like, what's the... Is it meant to be some sort of not-the-best joke about Marcy? I don't know. I'm not sure. The thing is, is that it's been said, uh, for example, an impudent, as well as the old insurance dodge. Like it seems to be one of the consistent things about how Ed O'Neill pronounces it. Now, one of the things, and again, I think Annabelle, you might have might have been something on your website or in Bundyology I read years ago that I'd never paid attention to beforehand, was that in the first season Al uses the pronunciation of Chicago. So in, yeah, in the vernacular, it wasn't me. I think it was. Yeah, I mean, in vernacular English, you know, there's, I mean, somebody from Chicago has some very distinct ways of pronouncing things, uh, and he tried to mimic that. And you're saying it wasn't you? No, I don't think it was me. I certainly remember reading that. I mean, I think when I was 14, I wouldn't really know what a Chicago dialect really sounds like because it always comes through Hollywood TV. Right, but the thing is, he stopped doing that. Yeah, and I what I don't know is is that is that the way that someone in Chicago says Marse, you know, Mercedes, Mercedes. Mm. I, I don't know, but it's very distinct, and maybe one of our fans, uh, you know, if uh, <laughs> uh, from maybe, and again, I think it's if if it is going to be pronounced a certain way, it should be in Middle America. So maybe um, if one of our fans of the podcast uh, knows this, you know, maybe you should uh, write a note to us. I'm, I'm curious to know that. I am too. Yeah, I mean, it could be, I mean, 
Ed O'Neill is a big car guy. Like he certainly had all the latest cars and whatever. Maybe he knows something that we don't. Or yeah, or just like you say, it is a dialect that he's picked up on somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. And Speculation. I, and I did notice, you know, the um, in the scene where you know she's cleaning the car, the license plate. Yes. So I, I was curious uh, if there's a uh, if you could decipher any meaning behind it because it is a vanity plate. Yeah. What is it? K D G twelve. K D G one two. If there is meaning behind it, I don't know. Well, for example, Catherine Green. Oh, okay. I'm thinking yeah. like, like I'm thinking maybe like the initials of someone, maybe in the writing staff. Twelve may be the twelfth season. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. You, you know what I mean? I'm 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 trying yeah. to figure out like wh- like what that could mean. But it was very, um, again, a Chicago license plate would have uh, a mix of like letters and numbers. I think it would at least be seven characters long. So that would usually when you'd see something like that, it would be somebody's vanity plate. Yeah, and you know, to me, it would be like somebody's initials and a number. Maybe it stands for Kill David Garrison. Because <laughs> he didn't come back this season. Oh, that's a bit morbid. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it. <laughs> well, that's all Catherine. Because I looked up Catherine Green, but I couldn't find if she has a middle name or not. So it could be that or it could be Kill David Garrison. <laughs> yes, uh, someone's private joke somewhere. Possibly Amanda Burst. Yeah, it could be a good, good inside joke. But while doing her car, Marcy tries to break the truth to Peggy. Tries to. Gently. Marcy knows that Peggy won't be like this forever, so, you know, trying to do a um, good old feminist duty and uh, bring the real Peggy back. Oh, Peggy, you don't have to do that. Oops, chamois lint. <laughs> sorry. Oh, and I'm sorry I didn't finish reglazing your bathtub. I'll do it when you're sleeping. Do you sleep? Because Al says good women don't. (laughs) Oh, I can't stand this another minute. Look, Peggy, Al has brainwashed you. You are not cheerful, tidy, and hardworking. You are rude, mean, and sloppy. (laughs) You're a horrible wife, a worse mother, and proud of it. I beg your pardon. Peggy, and I say this with love. You're the laziest bitch in Chicago. <laughs> kind of, because we kind of Peggy, Peggy got this forever, so... Well, you know, good, well, Marcy just wants to old Peggy back, I think, yeah. No, I, I think it's really that Marcy uh, sort of gets ticked off because, you know, Al is exploiting her. I mean, this is her feminist coming out right i think that marcy yeah that's what i think that yeah. marcy appreciated the fact that like you know peggy's doing some of the cleaning i mean think about it let's go back to when um uh peggy figured out how to scam marcy into doing her laundry right so i i could i could figure this is almost like payback to her but i think once uh peggy says to her that um you know um <laughs> Uh, what is it? Al says that uh, a good uh, a good woman uh, shouldn't sleep. Oh, do you sleep because Al says good women don't? Correct, right? So I think that that's really what sort of you know tips Marcy into like saying no, like I want the old Peggy back because you know she wants to get back at Al. Yeah, but then she spits out with the truth, you know. But she she says with love. <laughs> dot dot dot. 
You're the laziest bitch in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, gold. Uh, that should be the intro clip to this. <laughs> yes. <Gone>. Yes. <laughs> well, but Peggy's still very much in maid mode. Mar- Marcy's move, as they said, Pokemon was not very effective. <laughs> Well, Peggy still thinks she's the paper boy. Yes! And for future reference, my Al prefers his paper on the porch, not in the bushes. <laughs> Remember that, or we'll tell your supervisor. <laughs> and you see, like, I, what I appreciated about that is it was set up in the previous scene. Yes. And now you have the payoff, you know, you have the payoff in the next scene. You know, and again, we talked about that in the season where it's like, I always feel like it's like a machine gun fire, like set up joke, set up joke. And you're getting the, uh, I mean, you're, you're getting the punchline very quickly and you're moving on. At least in this case, it's like, all right, there's a little bit of a setup. And, you know, so to me, it's like the paper boy joke that Peggy makes is funnier because it didn't happen, you know, immediately after the first setup. Yeah. And it's not done to death. Correct. Yes, I did. I uh, did like um, that in the scene. You get a full, sh- you get a shot of the full peg outfit, and she's her shoes are are much more um, <laughs> well different. She's teeming with a theme. She's got these lower heels and these nice white, more more fifties esque shoes. Yes, uh, as I said in my notes, uh, she looks like she's gone full French maid at this point. No, that was a dream you had. <laughs> Well, but just just reminded me of a, a costume that one of my friends once wore to a high school river cruise. <laughs> As you do. And no, she's not a married to children fan. Hey, nice job peeling these grapes, Peg. <laughs> Al, I have been lied to and manipulated. I can explain, Peg. <laughs> I can't believe what Marcy just said. How can anybody be so vicious and cruel? She lies, Peg! She lies! I know, Al. She's trying to tear apart our happy family. You know, I think she wants you. (laughs) She has been stalking me, Peg. You may have to kill her. There's a chainsaw in the garage. Oh, Al, I'm so mad. I'm just so mad I could bake. May I suggest putting in a cloud? <laughs> Hang on, but why is she she's peeling grapes and she's so mad she could bake when uh um, she communicates Mar- what Marcy said to Al. Well, she thinks that Marcy wants Al. Yes, she's still still yep um not herself. <laughs> well, I mean, to me, that's a callback to season one, Nightmare on Al Street. Yeah, and to me, it, yeah, that does go back for me as well. However, I also think that Al and Marcy have a love-hate thing going on in that they're, you know, they're the breadwinners of the family. They're the only ones who work. They do have a, a hateful friendship, so to speak, and occasionally when Marcy's drunk, she has come onto Al, shall we say. So she might want Al just a little bit. I'm talking about throughout the entire series. Yeah, certainly Nightmare on Elf Street sprung to mind. Yeah, and, and and to your point, you know, what you just talked about is, remember when they're sharing the beer? Yes. Uh, when uh, At the zoo. Uh, in season four, at the zoo. Yep. 
It's like that's like the first time like you actually see them almost like talking to each other as peers. It's like where bonding. Al's not like yeah. you know, right? They're actually yeah, right. They're having this bonding moment. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because again, there's there's a lot in common with them. Yeah, you know, and they find that because effectively now Steve, I mean, he devolved into a quasi Jefferson, right? Yeah, because now because now he was no longer willing to work, and and Al had already been dealing with that with Peggy. So you had this um, this great setup, and I thought that was probably like that. That was a great scene, you know. Uh, I mean, comedy aside, you know, for the between the two of them. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I I definitely agree. Yes. So, have you ever eaten pudding in a cloud? Uh, can't say I have, no. Yes. I don't think we have that here. I've had them, I think, at weddings. All right, yeah, I've never had it at any wedding I've been to. It's not really an Australian thing. I've got two weddings in October, friends' weddings, and I don't think it'll be served at either of those. Pudding in a cloud is a classic family favourite, and for good reason. A cloud of whipped topping is swelled onto the bottom side of dessert dishes for the base of pudding in a cloud. So, looking it up a bit more, it appears to be, yeah, the cloud of whipped topping, basically made of a whipped topping, it's like, instant pudding, and cold right. milk. Right. And usually, like, what it'll be is be like, um, almost like a whipped cream on the bottom, and then like chocolate pudding on top. And sometimes, and, and sometimes it'll have like a little bit of a garnish to it. Oh, like, like a glass like cherry, a, like a glass cherry or something. Uh, yeah, like I usually see maybe almost like um, like those little uh, like Hershey, not, not a Hershey's kiss, but you know what I'm saying, like a like a chocolate chip. Yes. Okay. Yeah, like that that'll be good. like sprinkled on it. Yeah, it's pleasant. <laughs> you can make it here because we've got ch- chocolate pudding. We just call it chocolate custard, I think here. Yeah, they're all similar, yeah. Yeah, so you could easily make it here, but it's not really an Australian thing. Eat up, boys! The little woman's bringing plenty more! So you finally dumped Peg, huh? Better. I tamed the shrew! So, the first time... This is the first time this season we see no man. Yeah. Yes, yes. Because we don't see them that much this season. Yeah. No, I I believe maybe like only two or three times maximum. I think there's only two episodes. I think it's this and live new peg. Correct. It's just that 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 Griff. We still see Griff. Correct. So, yeah, but actual no man scenes they certainly cut back this season. Right, and it's just Ike and Bob Rooney. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't believe I don't believe we see Officer Dan mm. uh, this season either. Yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame. He was cool. Yep, one of only two No Man episodes in this season, after six in season nine and four in season ten. But, you know, we also have Al quoting Shakespeare. Yes, indeed. Uh, Namely, how he managed to tame the shrew. Uh, Because obviously Griff, Bob Rooney, and Ike, and Jefferson, well, Griff, Bob Rooney, and Ike in particular, are all really suspicious about Peggy. So uh, Al had to explain somehow, you know, well, the taming of the shrew. So... Thanks to my year 10 English teacher who was obsessed with Shakespeare, Mrs. Pastel. Uh, I know all ab- a lot about this, so the main plot of The Taming of the Shrew depicts the courtship of P- Patricia and Katharina, the headstrong, obliterate shrew, 
Initially, Katharina is an unwilling participant in a relationship. However, Petruccio tames her with various psychological and physical torments, such as keeping her from eating and drinking, until she becomes a desirable, compliant, and obedient bride. Yes. Yes. Us. Sounds boring, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most people these days say the younger generation, if anyone's seen 10 Things I Hate About You, oh. that's based on the taming of the shrew. And also there's the musical, of course, Kiss Me Kate. I was just about to mention the ta- 10 Things I Hate About You because we, in my class, English class, we got to um, study the actual book and also watch the um, 10 Things I Hate About You. So when we got to do the latter, we were like, oh, this is better. Oh, it's such a good film. And Bob Rudy has a question about... Uh, the um m- margarita is so fro- frothy to uh pet to, to the shrew aka pig <laughs> say how did you get these margaritas so frothy well i had this battery operated cocktail stirrer <laughs> found it in my nightstand <laughs> a battery operated cocktail stirrer This is this is definitely a highlight of the episode. But yep. like Bob Rooney's so intrigued about how Peg, who looks so nice by the way, how she made these margaritas. <laughs> she found it in a nightstand. Yep. <laughs> <And> he's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he spits it out. But then watch what Ike does. Yeah, Ike's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> he takes a sip and he likes it. Yes. Oh man. Uh, I mean, like, I, mean, I, I will say, like that, that, that is probably the highlight uh, of the episode. Well, you have, yeah, you, have, just, you did say it was the, your favorite line yeah. of the episode, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah yes. In, in terms of like, you know, that the, the physical comedy mm. and uh, you know the setup, the setup on that, because you know, you normally they normally don't go that extreme <laughs> you know, with the sex jokes, but that that was. Uh, the payoff is great. I said that was like that. That that is like the that like rings the bell. That's like a that's like a church bell. It's it's wrong. Like bong. Like. <laughs> oh. 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 Uh. So now the man guys are getting really worried because Al is accused of sleeping with Peggy. Al, I hate to accuse you of this, but did you sleep with Peggy? <laughs> Are you crazy? That would violate our first commandment. That would violate their first commandment. Of yeah, the but that, yeah, that's not their first commandment. <laughs> if you remember back to season eight, the Iron Head Haynes episode. Yes, it is okay to call hooters knockers and sometimes snack trays. These are your real first commandments. So this should really be the eleventh eleventh commandment. Um, Al. No, ma'am. They rearranged them. <laughs> yes. All the rewritten in, since 1994. I think you better rearrange those. I just want to quickly say, because I quite like it when no ma'am appear, given their de- declining in number of appearances, do you think they would have been phased out or it cut even more if they were back for a season 12? Possibly. Depends what kind of stories they came up with. Yeah, we said Officer Dan wasn't in it so much, but he did get an episode... By himself with Al and Kelly's got a habit. Don't just just for the record. Correct. True. But he's not appearing with No Ma'am. I guess that that was the point. Yes. Now, I mean, if you remember, 
Michael Moy did say that, you know, he had the idea of having a spinoff of No Ma'am. You know, and I can see it. Like, you know, like after he described that as a potential spinoff, I could see that. And I could see it. I mean, if it's not starring Ed O'Neill, it would probably be like uh, I could see a spinoff with, you know, Bob Rooney and Ike and Officer Dan and probably maybe a couple of other characters. Would Griff be in there? Yeah, maybe. You, you know what I mean? It's like I could see it as like a crossover type thing that maybe like you would have a crossover. But I could see that developing. But, you know, it's unfortunate it didn't happen. Maybe the animated series will do something like that, right? Yeah, possibly. Maybe. <laughs> They'll have their own clubhouse, which won't be the garage. Yes. <laughs> yes, provided they can get the original um, guys back, as long as they can do that. Maybe a back room of the nudie bar or something like that. Yeah. What, where we're recording? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go check the storage closet. <laughs> So speaking of hooters and, and snack trays, they've got a ring girl for the evening. They do, yeah. I was like, oh, who's the hot blonde bird? It's Sally the ring girl. <laughs> Look what happened to Marcy. <laughs> 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 um, and that goes, you know, back to that whole Stepford thing. It's like the guy's like, hey, wait a minute. Like, what do I got to do get, to get a wife like that? <laughs> I mean, like, wow, this yeah. really works. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, I mean, I have to give like Katie Seagal's wardrobe. I mean, she had like the fifties, you know. Again, she looked like Audrey Meadows, like scrubbing in the kitchen. Like, I mean, down to the outfit was perfect. But then, like, she comes down very elegantly dressed. You know, like I mean, a real you can knockout. See her legs, yeah, yeah. real knockout. Yeah, yeah. It's just it just adds to the oh, of what happens with with our becoming turned on. And for me, it adds to the build-up or the climax of the episode where Peggy goes back to her usual self. I made a note here that I don't actually remember making, but in the background there's a poster. You know how I'm always looking at the walls and stuff and posters? Yeah. And eventually just find tracking them down on the internet. I mean, I found one of the posters that's up in Bud's basement bedroom. So obscure and rare, but I eventually found it. But apparently in this scene, there's a poster for WWF as it was then, King of the Ring 1995 match. It's on the desk near by the wall. Yep. It's an observation I don't remember making. Well spotted. <laughs> Apparently. And by the way, uh, the WWF and today the WWE uh, is headquartered in Connecticut. Ah. You asked, uh, remember at the beginning of the, uh, at the beginning of the podcast, we mentioned that. Uh, its headquarters is in Stamford, Connecticut, and one summer I actually worked across the street from them. Oh, yeah? So I do remember seeing some wrestlers at lunch. Nice. <laughs> when you'd go out, you know, because there was, like, obviously food establishments uh, nearby. But, yeah, like, not your, not of, like, where you th- would think it would be. Like, I think most people would say, like, it'd be someplace like Las Vegas or, you know, like some fun place. But believe it or not, it's in Connecticut. Hmm. <laughs> Right, like I said, but at that point, I wasn't like a real wrestling fan, so like I, you know, it wasn't really like a, a thing. Although I do remember seeing Captain Lou Albano. Nice. Who's now like now passed away, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys will appreciate this. He played Mario in the original live action Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I was just gonna say, I know who I knew that. Yes, I know, I know him from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I saw a few episodes of that, but that was a little bit before my time. But I still saw a bit of it on video. And of course, the Duna Mario song at the very end of the show. Yeah, I'm very familiar with it. Yep. 
<laughs> so is Fat Snoopy Schwartz a real person? When I did the notes, I could not find something, but you know, we could check again. It doesn't sound like something or someone I've heard of. I think it's just a funny name they came up with. But Al's not interested in wrestling. Nope. Hey, Peg. What you doing? Greasing my muffin tins. Hey, can I grease a couple? Oh, <laughs> thanks, honey. But you know, you have to spread them just right or they won't rise. <laughs> well, that's not going to be a problem. <laughs> Come on, Al. Fat Snoopy Schwartz just bit the knobs off the human trash compactor. Well, you sure know your way around a rolling pin. Oh, it's easy, Al. You just grab it with both hands and go back and forth, back and forth. Peg, you're driving me crazy. Let's go upstairs. Oh, Al, you're terrible. We're hosting a party. Besides, you told me that I don't like sex. I'll make it quick. <laughs> this is interesting if you think about it. It's like Al really loves Peg. And I think like he feels repulsed by the fact that maybe she doesn't cook or clean for him. But when she does, I mean, it's almost like that's the that's what makes her attractive to him. Yeah. Right? So that makes her the perfect woman. Correct. You know, so it's it has nothing to do with her physical look because you always read this on you know, some of the comments that are made, like especially like on YouTube and all that, it's like, you know, why doesn't Al want to have sex with Peggy? And Peggy's a beautiful woman. And it's because, you know, I think you know, she doesn't give him or maybe satisfy his needs of like food, <laughs> you know, food and maybe being, you know, again, I don't know if you want to say like a wife or motherly, like that's what he's looking for. So now when she acts that way, right, then he's attracted to her. Yeah. yeah. So that so that's what makes so that's effectively is what's going to make for the grand finale on this one. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because he's told her that she doesn't like sex, and uh, we find out that uh, as they're doing it, she actually does, and realizes that she does. So <laughs> her her memory comes back during that. Yes. <laughs> but when Al goes into the kitchen, she asks. He asks Peg what she's doing and she says greasing my muffin tins which i have a dirty mind so i took that to be a dirty reference even though it sounded totally innocent but it's not yeah no no it, it's it's dirty <laughs> but you have to spread them just right or they won't rise yes yep double entendre mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. ike's a little bit too keen for that <laughs> But yeah, they've got this the classic thing of, um, well, I don't know how to describe it other than saying what literally happens, but if Peg knows her way around a rolling pin, which I mean, she sure does, you just grab it with both hands, <laughs> you just grab it with both hands and go back and forth, back and forth. Yep. <laughs> and as Al says, he'll be quick. Yeah, and as they go upstairs, then we, we finally get to hear from Griff. And like we said at the start, if this was a season opener, we finally get some closure about Griff. As it stands, it just works as a, a continuing reference. Wow, you just got out of prison? <laughs> that means you haven't had sex for a long time. <laughs> 
None that I care to discuss. <laughs> and it's interesting how Bob Rooney and Jefferson sort of move to opposite ends of the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After he says, well, it's nothing that I care to discuss. Because we, we know by now about this Mrs. Black Beauty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's noises from up in the bedroom. Oh, ow. Oh, pig. Oh, yuck. And I'm thinking... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Al. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yuck. <laughs> oh, Al. Oh, yes. Oh, Al. Oh, Al. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> She's back. Grab your weenie tights and rest your legs. <laughs> This kind of reminded me a little bit of what the wedding show when they overhear again Alan Pegg in the bedroom making suggestive conversation, but really they're just she's just putting on his tie. Yep. But here it's actual sex, so they do have right to be grossed out. <laughs> so yeah, as you said, her memory returns during this. <laughs> but what's this crash upstairs? Yeah, I, I think like I think she probably like <laughs> grabs something. That was on the nightstand and threw it at him, almost like a lamp or something, right? Yeah, it would be that. Well, not like, a I mean, battery-operated cocktail stirrer. No. Right, right. Could have been that too. <laughs> no, I, no, I, like I think it's like it does. I mean, it sounded more like a pan, but it's like I guess like they needed to make a sound. But like you know, to me, like if this was real life, I could imagine Peg in the bedroom, and it's like all of a sudden her memory comes back and she grabs like the thing that's closest to her. So I think it would probably be one of the lamps on the nightstand, right? <laughs> and would probably like, you know, it's like fling it at him or, or try to hit him with it while he's like <laughs> trying to dodge, right? Uh, you know, trying to dodge her. So that's what I, what I would imagine it would be. Yeah, it sounded kind of like a, a breakfast tray or something, like a metal tray or a lamp or something or, or all of the above. But you notice... Uh, I don't know if anyone saw this or if I'm crazy, but when Al comes downstairs, right when he gets to the bottom of the stairs, it looks like he trips and falls forward. Yeah. Um, he's, he's covered by people leaving the, fleeing the scene quite quickly, yep. but he, he stacks it. <laughs> right. I have no idea if that's intentional or not. Right. I mean, the other thing to me, it's like to, to add to the, you know, to the image, like to me, the acting, I would have expected both of them to look a little more disheveled. Yes. That's what I didn't get. Yeah, I mean, because because like, <laughs> right. I mean, and not only that, it's like you know, Peg comes down and she like you know her hair is still you know like perfect. She's still dressed well, so it's like uh, like that sort of took away from me like the reality of it. It's like I would have expected both of them to have come down a little disheveled, so which would have made it funnier. Yeah, but but I don't know if that's just because remember that's a set, <laughs> so maybe they they don't have enough time to dishevel themselves and before yeah. they walk down. I thought maybe they could have done something like if she took off the little penny, the little apron she was wearing, and, and Al had it came down in, it was tied around his head or something like Something stupid like, you know, what do these people get up to upstairs? <laughs> right. Yeah. So Peg's returned. <laughs> the shrew's back. <laughs> <laughs> untamed. Oh, and uh, she can't Al. Be <laughs> and Al's name is no longer Al Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> Al Bundy, I feel so violated. Al Bundy, is that my name? (laughs) Who are you? 
Gosh, you're a pretty woman. Nice try, Al. There is only one punishment severe enough for you. No smiley face on my omelet tomorrow? No omelet, just toast? No toast at all! Upstairs! Why, Peg? Why? There's no, there's no food upstairs! Oh, don't worry, Al. When I'm done with you, you won't have any appetite at all. I know! And there'll be no more toasts and smiley face omelets for Al. No more food at all. No. <laughs> uh, now, you know, we actually have been keeping track of sex points this uh, season. You know, we apologize to our podcast listeners that we haven't kept up with it, uh, at least episode by episode. But we've already had two sex points for Peg this season. And now we have a third, actually a third and fourth, because technically, you know, I'd say the first, I'd say the first time when Al wanted it, right? That's actually a sex point for Peg. And the second time, sort of like his punishment is, is the second one. So I think, would everybody agree on that one? Yeah. Yep. I agree. So Peg four, Al zero. <laughs> and you've been keeping yep. track of these? <laughs> Mental track. Okay. Remember when we do our wrap-up show, There used show, to be a right? spreadsheet. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, put that in the wrap-up notes now. Yes. So, um, the main episode ends, uh, aside from a quick little pre-credit sequence after a Don't Go Away, we'll be right back with a little scene just before the credits roll. Hey, bud. I'd like you to meet the girl next door. <laughs> And there's a payoff to a, what I thought was a very weak joke earlier. Yeah, we see Kelly uh, now in green. Uh, yeah, she's got a new girl to introduce to Bud. She looks kind of familiar, doesn't she? A little bit. I actually remember something about this episode. Maybe when it aired, someone online... See, back in the back in early '97, when you couldn't download episodes, as for example, as easily as you can now, or get access to episodes if you miss them on TV so easily, someone had could only see this episode in like a little tiny little QuickTime file or like a real time file, real media file. Yep. Yeah. And someone, I, re- on, I remember those days. Yes. <laughs> like a little tiny file that a very very small. And someone on, I guess, the news group asked if that was actually Christina Applegate in a split screen or do they find a, an actress with a very good likeness because their screen and their, their, their version of the episode was so small they could not tell the difference. They couldn't tell if it was actually her or not. Um, I don't know why I remember that. I remember thinking, oh, wow, that's, that was, yeah, that was a small file. But no, it is Christina. Yeah, it is. And, you know, when you look at the quality of it, you can sort of see that it was green screened because you can see the pixels around her body. Like, I mean, a little uh, bit, I, yeah. I, I was watching, I was watching it on my uh, big screen TV <laughs> twice yesterday. And when that came up, I'm sort of looking at it as like, okay, like what did they do here? I'm like, yep, no, that's a green screen. Uh, Cause that was the technology available at the time. Yeah. I mean, now I'm, now I'm sure like if you had done it, it, it would seem very, very natural. Yeah. But, now it uh, would. But, uh, you know, that's, again, you have to go by what was available at that time. Yeah, it's come a long way. 
Because we see that again when we we will review Lesby Friends, mm-hmm. when uh, you have you know Marcy and uh, her cousin, um, Mandy. Yeah, Mandy, like on on the screen. Yes. Yeah, and it's just on that opening shot because if you notice, I think usually, I mean, what they did is they do the one shot because I think it was very expensive to do because like they have effectively that one frame of like the two of them on screen and then otherwise they're using the camera and they're using a body double with the wig. Yes. I mean, I I haven't seen it in a little while. We haven't reviewed it yet, but I believe that's my remembrance of how it is. Yeah, Lesby Friends did not have a studio audience. That's right, yes. I haven't seen it once since December of 2020, but yeah, that's right. But here, now, it it is Christina's turn to get a split screen because she hasn't had one before because we've had... Bud's had one in Proud to Be Your Bud, and Al's had one, well, Ed O'Neill's had one in um, Desperately Seeking Miss October when he played Al and his father, and we will see Marcy. And Kelly, um, Christina, she's played another character before, but not <laughs> not in the split screen. I'm not sure what the first instance of split screen in TV is. I can think of one as far back as the mid-70s, but I'm not sure what the first one was. I don't know. I mean, the stuff in movies from the 30s, if not earlier, that that have split screens and special effects to certain degrees. But TV, I'm not sure. Yeah, the earliest I can think of is the 1975 Christmas episode of Dad's Army where you have Captain Mandarin's drunk brother. Hmm. But yeah, for, for 1996, this doesn't look too bad. I mean, <laughs> nowadays, as we say, on a bigger TV, you can tell, aside from the obvious reasons that it is a split screen. This has come so far. Sure has. And as I mentioned, if you watch Bud, this is clearly where his season 11 credit comes from, which I, I don't, I'm not really sure why they updated his credit anyway, because he's the only one who got an update. Maybe he wanted something new. Maybe. Instead of fondling a leg. <laughs> maybe, maybe, again, maybe they had a season 12 that would have updated the rest of the, cu- rest of the credits as well, aside from Bud's. But, you know, I think also his appearance had changed well, significantly yeah. as well. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And, and, you know, I mean, you have to, I have to give that more for, like, the kids. You know, when I say kids, I'm talking about Christina and David. I mean, they're, I, you know, I mean, they're starting out and they're teenagers and now, like, they're, they're early 20s. I mean, it's obviously the point in your life when you change the most. So, I mean, if you're look, so, I mean, like, I mean, Ted McGinley's still looks the same. I mean, he's probably like a Dorian Gray. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, the rest of them, I mean, now, I mean, but now we're talking 25 years later. I mean, a significant amount of time. But you know, for for them during the you know those 11 seasons, it's the kids who are gonna, the ones who are going to look very different. I mean, even if uh, you know, as you uh, call uh, him, the little snot nosed kid, uh, Annabelle. <laughs> if if Seven had remained on the show, you know, you could imagine that. You know, by season 11, four years later, he's going to look significantly different than he did, you know, when he was on the show. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. He probably would have, like, because he would have grown into his, like, awkward teenage phase and probably looked worse. <laughs> Sorry. That's typically what happens. So episode basically uh, ends with a very worried-looking bud. I remember transcribing this. I remember transcribing this episode uh, years and years ago. Years ago. And my my mother had seen this episode by then, of course. And I, and I asked her, oh, how do you describe the look on Bud's face? Because I just needed a word. And she said, oh, flabbergasted. And I'm like, perfect, that'll do. <laughs> ah, that is perfect. 
No Ma'am will be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Okay. All right. So, uh, Luigi, how many battery-operated cocktail stirrers are you um, rating this episode? Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. Oh, what's a number, right? <laughs> I feel like quoting Shakespeare. He said, like, what's in a name? So I'm going to say, well, what's in a number? <laughs> well, overall, I did like the episode. I thought that, uh, you know, the concept was good. I really loved the homage that it made to the 1950s housewife in terms of what it turned Peg into. Uh, I felt like watching it that it, you know, was really paying homage to Honeymooners. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be on this with you guys, because, you know, I am a big fan of the Honeymooners. I really think it is the proto sitcom. Uh, I believe they they are proto Bundys in terms of the way that they act, you know, obviously with a different spin for 1950s sensibilities, but um, it was a very good concept. I thought the writing was decent, I did not like things like the Kelly stupid jokes. Like I felt like it was beyond what could have been, you know, beyond stupid, even for her and for her character. So uh, I understand, you know, again, new writers and maybe the caricature of Kelly Bundy is to be stupid, but uh, she's stupid with good lines typically. So uh, I just felt like it was in a different, universe in terms of stupidity but there were some glimpses again it's not all bad um the um even and some of the other things maybe we didn't talk about uh you know the set in front of marcy's house like something we've never seen we've never seen the garage before uh so uh some nice little touches to end uh the um season 11 with uh again some images uh Again, no ma'am at the end. I thought that that was good. I mean, we sort of saw, I sort of saw the punchline coming. Once I saw the construct of like Al trying to come up with a scheme. And again, no different than Ralph Crandom on the Honeymooners trying to come up with like a get rich quick scheme. Uh, So um, I thought that it was, I thought that, you know, some of it was predictable uh, and it was good. But I'd say the writing was decent. Should this have been the season opener? I think so. In in my opinion, I feel like uh, if this wasn't number one in place of Twisted, it should have been number two or vice versa. And I think, uh, Annabelle, you agreed with me on that. A couple of good jokes. uh, The battery-operated cocktail stir and uh, the reaction of Bob Rooney and Ike. Classic. Um, So I'm going to give this a three. Just a plain three. 
you know, definitely something I'd want to watch again, but I didn't feel like it had a home run. And I feel like if some of the writing had been done a little bit better, uh, it would have pushed it further up to a four for me. But I'm going to give this just a plain old three. So so three so three battery operated cocktail servers for me. <laughs> oh, thank you for sharing your thoughts, Luigi. Nice uh, ba- balanced uh, score there. You know, stuff canceling other stuff out. So I'll get to mine in a bit, but I do agree with you somewhat. But firstly, Annabelle, how many battery operated cocktail servers <laughs> are you giving for this episode? <laughs> well, I might be a little more generous. Because this is a personal favourite of mine of season 11. Uh, Is it a favourite of mine of the whole series? Not sure. But certainly of this season. Well, I'm confused that it was the first one produced but didn't air until the 10th episode. I can't do anything about that. And uh, we've already discussed whether or not it could open the season. And I think it could. But... Even if it had it twisted first and then this episode second, that would be fine. Uh, it's a good story. I feel like it's, a, it's something that they would have done already. Uh, feels a little obvious, but it's certainly fun. I mean, it, it does remind me at times of episodes like Hot Off the Grill. You know, if Peg does some work or some manual labor, Al's going to get turned on. And here, you know, <laughs> he's retrained her, reprogrammed her. She's cooking and cleaning, so of course Al is going to get turned on by that. Uh, that being said, I do like anytime Al and Peg have a lot of scenes together or, you know, there's a lot of jokes about their marriage or whatever it is. So there's a lot of good stuff in here. There's also a lot of total silliness. And it, it is, the show is a cartoon at this point. And... Like you said, Luigi, the the Kelly is dumb jokes. I just I'm just over them by this point in this season. Uh, we've discussed that in other episodes that we've already reviewed this season. But in this season, she's written epically dumb. That said, she's got some good moments too. I mean, I, I the the payoff with her with the the girl across the uh, in the house next door, blah blah. That's just just a silly fun, and you're not meant to take that too seriously or anything. But you know that that's fine. Um, I just let it go. But I I do enjoy this episode quite a bit. And and like you mentioned, uh, it was nice to see uh, Marcy's car. If you have any clues about the number plate, please write in. Um, nice to see the the outside of the the exterior of their house. Peg's outfits are iconic. <laughs> uh, they're iconic anyway. But in this episode, uh, she looks fabulous. Um, I love that whole fifties homage. And uh, even more so to the Honeymooners, um, it's great for anyone like us who likes TV, especially older sitcoms like this. Yeah, I mean, everybody's sort of involved. Um, it's nice that Amanda Burse is in an episode that she has directed. And again, she's usually a fairly, um, her, her episode's usually quite well paced and, and, and tight. So I, I do enjoy this episode quite a bit. I mean, the cocktail stirrer exchange is just... <laughs> It's, again, it's silly, but it totally works, and it and it gets me every time. And the Alan Peg stuff, as I said, is um, a big, big factor for me. So I'm going to be quite generous and give this four battery-operated cocktail stirrers that I all found in my nightstand. Right. right. So, uh, Annabelle, do they have die-hard batteries? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, a couple of them do. Oh, thank you for your a- Annabelle. Now, as for myself, okay, so this episode has clear pros and cons, as you both already mentioned. Well, the, I like, the, well, amongst other things, I like the um, general gist of the episode, you know, Peg actually being a housewife for once, the bat in the, in the larder, uh, the honeymooners references, especially the subtle ones to the then-recent passing of Audrey Meadows, the Quasimodo joke from uh, Kelly, although her other joke wasn't the best in this episode, and uh, getting to the cons in a bit later on. The no mem scene at the very end, one of the very last no mem appearances. I always like it personally whenever I see no mem because, I mean, especially, well, because they've all got their own personalities. I mean, you know, Griff being Al psychic at the shoe store, Bob Rooney being thick as a brick, and Ike just bouncing off them. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, cons, I'd have to say, well, I mean, Kelly was a aside from the Quasimodo joke. Kelly was a bit flat in this episode, uh, especially you know the way she was trying to like. Al was the one who had Indonesia. <laughs> oh, that was another pro Indonesia joke. I did like that one, especially being one of Australia's neighbours and all. Uh, some of the some of the some of the potholes weren't weren't the best either. So I do like this episode. I mean, there are other ones season eleven I like more. If this was say from season five, as it, let's say let's pretend this was from season five, as we know it just in that season, it would it would definitely stand out more. But if it was from say season five, they would have written it differently. Like it wouldn't be No Man, for example. They would have written it differently to get my gist. Uh, yeah, I'm hovering between three and three and a half. Uh, I mean, it wasn't laugh out loud funny for me. Um, I mean, I, I did laugh, but not laugh out loud funny like I normally do. So I'm gonna have to go to agree. With, I'm going to have to agree with Luigi and just give three battery operated cocktail stirrers that I found in my nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope our podcast fans enjoy that one. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I hope you all did too, uh, and I hope you. Well, well, firstly, thank you, Luigi, for joining us here um, once again in Australia, downing a few VBs of us, a few VBs, West Ends, uh, um, Swan Lagers. I'm going to bring a few six packs back with me on the plane. Yes, make sure you bring one six pack of West End and one of Swan Lager, Adelaide and Perth beer. Yep. Yeah, and I definitely appreciate it. Can you get that at duty free? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I will say, like I, uh, since I have been flying uh, a little bit, especially in Europe, the duty free's been excellent. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the duty free is like in Australia now that uh, uh, the borders have reopened. Yes, well, you're definitely always welcome uh, when, when you when, when you come on down our way. Yes, I could happily visit the Perth, Adelaide, or even another city. I'd happily meet up even in another city, Luigi, in Australia. Uh, definitely will. Real. What? Sydney. Well, Chris is coming to Sydney. Yes, yes. So, uh, well, uh, as much as I hate to leave you all, that's it for the Married with Children podcast uh, for now. But Team Australia plus Stephen from Oklahoma will be joining. Will be back, back with you next week to review Buds on the Side. Season 11, episode 11. So, uh, you'll be looking forward to that. Uh, well, in that episode, when Al finds out that Bud and Gary are dating, he and Griff decide to take advantage of the situation like a break, like, like a break room. 
That's what this is. What, that's one of my personal favourites of season eleven. Uh, if you want to find out why, you better be back next week and listen to the Married to Children podcast only only on the internet. So until then, be good to yourselves. Same and remember, keep an eye, keep your ears out. Same at the same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. <laughs> <laughs>